Good morning, it's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Uh, another weekend of sports in the bag. So many things happening. I think the headliner was way back on Friday night with the Jazz getting beat by the Clippers. And you're going to play some of the post-game comments from some of those guys coming up in our next segment. Um, now the Clippers turned around and lost to the Nets. Controversial finish. Was that really an offensive foul on Kawhi Leonard? With eight seconds left in the game, that's not a call that gets made very often. And James Harden ought to feel very fortunate because, number one, he got beat. (laughs) He was beat on that play. And he got the call, and they were both pushing and shoving going down the lane. There was bumping going on. It was I thought it was absolutely no-call territory. Actually, I thought it was kind of no-call territory if it had been the middle of the second quarter. I thought it was definitely a no-call at the end of the game. But Harden sold it. He flung himself backwards. And, you know, from different angles, it, it looked different. So... You can go back and go over a thousand things in that game. And I think one of the key things to go over in that game, Harden had 37 and I think Kyrie went for like 28. And uh, Durant didn't play. He's been out four games now with a hamstring issue. Um, And the question is are the Nets going to be better with all three or are they better with two guys? Is three just one cook too many in the kitchen? Now, if I only had two, I would pick Durant and Harden. And I think most of you would pick Durant and Harden. but Harden and Kyrie got it done. They beat the Clippers. It looks like there's um, four or five teams in the NBA that are on one tier. Depends what you think of the Phoenix Suns. You know, the Jazz have the best record, and they're two and a half games up on the Lakers and three up on the Clippers. The fourth best record goes to the Suns, who are four and a half games back of the Jazz. Now, you got to go down to sixth or seventh best record before you get to the Nets, but they are coming. They are coming. They just finished a 5 0 road trip beat the Lakers and the Clippers and the Kings and the Warriors and the Suns. Now the Lakers were shorthanded. They didn't didn't play. And you can say what you want about the Suns, but they've won seven of the last eight, and the loss was to the Nets. The Nets uh, sweep that road trip 5-0. They have won eight straight games against Western Conference teams, including the Jazz. Jazz, Lakers, Clippers, Suns, the big four. They beat them all. They have won, uh, going 5-0 on the road, they hadn't won four straight road games since 2008. What a terrible franchise. Darren Williams didn't win four straight road games the whole time he was there? Are you kidding me? It was that bad? Four road games, it's not a lot. I think, especially in the East, where there's some bottom feeders. I think you put together a four-game, you know, you beat somebody good on the road and you surround it with three games against bottom feeders, and boom, there you go. At 13 years? That seems unbelievable. But the Nets look really good right now. They look really good. And the Jazz have the best record, but you have to strip away some of the other numbers. The, with that loss, the Clippers are now 16-4 and four when they have Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Both guys played in the Friday win against the Jazz. Neither guy played in the Wednesday loss. Both guys played in the Friday win. And both guys played in the loss to the Nets. So they win 80% of the games when they have their guys. Now we'll have their guys in the playoffs. You know, we'll have to see. Uh, so that was a pretty interesting game with the Nets and the, uh, and the Clippers. As far as the Jazz-Clipper game, we'll get that post game coming up. Uh, the Jazz shot the three really poorly, and I thought they struggled to get good looks at three early in the game. But I thought by the middle of the second quarter they were solving that. And I thought they had some very good looks in the second quarter that they missed. And then they had some more open shots in the third quarter, and they hit them. And that's when they made their run. You know, they were down 15 in the second. I think they got it down to eight at the half. They were up four at 67-63 in the middle of the third quarter. And I was thinking, they're actually going to win this? They're going to sweep the Clippers? And we were talking about this on Tuesday and Wednesday that, you know, the easiest default 
projection, not knowing who was going to play and who was going to sit. And as it turned out, most of the guys sat one game, but not two. Everybody came back on uh, the Friday game. Uh, but the most likely projection, not even knowing that, was a split, which is what it turned out to be. And, of course, the Jazz take two out of three from the Clippers. They've got the tiebreaker if they end up with the same record because the Jazz beat them at home uh, on New Year's Day. And both Kawhi Leonard and Paul George played in that game. So good win for the Jazz right there. Uh, but they got to hit the three. And Donovan's got to be better in the first half. He had six points at halftime, finished with 35. Uh, and part of it was foul trouble. And I thought he was really tentative. He didn't want to get the third foul before halftime. And he didn't. Uh, but it, it was a very quiet first half. And this is something we've seen. It's not just this game and the foul trouble, although the foul trouble explains it in this game, but this is a trend that we have seen not only all year but across multiple seasons. Um, so, And there is something to be said for seeing how a game is going and adapting and then playing better later on. There's a lot to be said for that. Uh, but at the same time, on behalf of greedy fans everywhere, how about seeing, figuring out, and adapting earlier? How about anticipating and dominating for all four quarters? It sounds like a lot to ask, and it is. And I know it doesn't sound good, and some of you are shaking your head, DJ, you greedy weasel. But it's very clear to me that the Jazz are playing at a very high level. And PK and I were telling you they were contenders back in mid-January. I think most people believe that now. But contenders can still get you beat in the second round, right? Lakers, Clippers, Jazz, somebody's got to go out in the second round. And what about the Suns? they got to go out in the second round. I mean, it's, a good, it's brutal. It's a brutal. So you got to be very good. You got to be excellent. You can't have any, can't have any cracks in your game. You know the Jazz are interesting in that. Um, not that they haven't signed free agents because obviously Bogdanovich, um, but they've been built the old-fashioned way through the draft, trades, finding guys who are overlooked. And they're going to compete with two LA teams and a New York team, and all three of them have a whiff or the stench. You know, depending on who you root for and where you live, of big market teams you know, landing uh, dream teams, you know, add water and stir. And, you know, Durant went as a free agent to Brooklyn, but Harden, Harden wind his way out, you know, and LeBron went to the Lakers as a free agent, but AD, they tampered to get him out of there. And Kawhi Leonard went as a free agent to the Clippers. He said, well, I'll, I'll come if you go get George. And so they went and traded for him. So they all have this kind of super team aspect, this kind of AAU, you know, go to a glamour market and, and put your all-stars together and go. And there's three teams built like that, and there's the Jazz. And if the Suns can play their way into this, then, okay, the Suns are built a little more like the Jazz because they, they drafted a couple of their young stars, and they went out and acquired Chris Paul. So, you know, the Suns and the Jazz would have more in common. Um, you know, can the Suns turn themselves into a glamour destination? At one point I thought they were in the 80s and 90s. Now they're not. That was a long time ago. The Sarver era has been a problem there. Um, but you get the point, regardless of how it plays out with Phoenix. Jazz are going to have to be really good. You know, they're playing every one of those other three teams has a Hall of Famer, for sure, 100%. And they might have two or three. You know, and do the, is Kyrie Irving going to end up being a Hall of Famer? He's got a lot of career to go. We'll have to see how it pans out. Um, Durant definitely is. Harden easily could be. I think Harden probably is. So I think the odds are there's two there. And then if they win the title, the odds on Harden just go up. I think Durant's first ballot. LeBron's first ballot. AD, we'll have to see how how he performs uh, with LeBron and after LeBron. But he's certainly got a chance. And if you go to the Clippers, Kawhi's going into the hall for sure. Paul George, we'll have to see how the rest of his career goes. Um, So there just isn't going to be much room for error. 
And if you're not the one seed, you could have to play those three teams all in a row. You know, Clippers and Lakers in the second round. If you win that, you get the other, either the Clippers or the Lakers, whoever is the top seed in the, in the conference final. And then the Nets could be waiting for you in the NBA finals. could be a brutal path. So you're going to have to demand excellence. Every detail. Excellence. Every detail. Over and over. Which is basically what Quinn does. Joe's pretty much told us that. Uh, the other sports on the weekend. Tony Finau. Heartbreak. Great Sunday round. 64. Plays his way into a playoff. You know, as he was playing 18 um, and Homa was playing 17, it looked like, wow, he's, he's got a chance to just win this. He's got the lead right now. But uh, Homa hits a great second shot and has a really short birdie putt. So all of a sudden it's like, oh, now they're tight. And he had another birdie putt. And how that did, that was such a short birdie putt and it didn't go in. It was so short. And then he loses in the playoff, and credit to Homa for getting out away from that tree and closing the club face. I don't know how he got that ball onto the green, but he did, and he made the putt. An unbelievable up and down. And Tony Finau frustrated again right there, so close to victories. now 1-3 in playoffs. Uh, 64 on a Sunday, you got to circle that. That's awesome. Um, but he did have a putt to win it on the first playoff hole. That one hurt. But he caught a break on 18. You know, he never could have been in a playoff, so... Onward they go. That is the end of the, the Western swing there. I think they got to go to Florida now on the PGA Tour. And as far as the college hoops, uh, painful for Utah State. Two chances to beat Boise State. One-point game with five minutes to go on Wednesday, and they lose. Tie game with three minutes to go on Friday, and they lose. Just couldn't make the big plays at the end of the game. And so uh, I think they're very much a bubble team now. Could go either way. They got Nevada this week, Friday, Sunday at home. They got to win those. And then you got to see what they can pull off. Uh, in the conference tournament. I think there's four good teams at the top of the league. I just don't know if there's room in the tournament for all four of them. So you got to win. Those two losses hurt. Boise State put themselves in a great position. I think the Broncos are in now. Um, Aggies have work to do. Cougars just don't mess it up. You know, just don't mess it up. They've done the work. They've got themselves not not on the bubble, but well into the tournament. Um you know, will they be a 7, 8, 9, 10 seed? How will that play out? Just don't mess it up. You know, win the games you're supposed to win. And, man, did they go to Loyola and win the game they were supposed to win. They got up 13-2. to two. They were up 20 in the first half. They were up 30 in the second half. I mean, that was, that was exactly what they needed to do. And every BYU fan should have been thrilled with it. All right, DJ and PK, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We'll hear from some of the Jazz in the post game next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Utah Jazz got beat by the Clippers. Uh, felt like a playoff game. You're going to hear Rudy Gobert say that in a few minutes. Um, you know, there were key mistakes down the stretch. It was a winnable game. Uh, the Jazz with a couple of good pushes when it looked like they might be out of it, but didn't make the right play at the right time. And Donovan Mitchell will cover that. But let's start with the coach, Quinn Snyder, first. Coach, you took them all the way down to the wire. What are your thoughts on the way you guys competed tonight? Well, you know, they're obviously, you know, a really, really good team and tough to handle, I thought. The offensive glass, their offensive boards in the first part of the game uh, hurt us where they got a few, um, you know, threes off 
off some of the uh, their offensive rebounds. But you know, I, I I like how we competed. It's you know these are the games that we've talked about that um, whether you win them, obviously, it'd be nice to win it. Um, but we're you know trying to get better, and uh, that's where our mindset is. And you know, as disappointed as as you are that you don't win the game, you know, this is another situation that we want to take and you know, use to get better. Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Q, it seemed like there were stretches, you know, especially like kind of midway through the fourth quarter where they take uh, Kawhi and Paul Come back. I can't hear you, Eric. Can you guys, Olivia, can you let him know we can't hear him? Yep. Hey, Eric, we can't hear you, and I unfortunately can't mute you. Kind of the, the focus in, in, the, in the situations like that. Hey, Eric, could you? Eric, I, I couldn't hear your question, Eric. Um, I heard the, the last part of it. I heard Paul George's name. Um, yeah, sorry, Wi-Fi went out for a second. Uh, okay. I, I was talking about that stretch kind of midway through the fourth where they sat out Kawhi and PG, and it seemed like you guys maybe had a chance to go on a run, and instead the Clippers expanded the lead by four, I want to say, in that stretch. How did you okay. feel? Okay. You're out again, Eric. Let me, let me try to answer the question. Can you guys – can everyone hear me? Yep, you're good, Coach. Okay. So, I, I, during, during that stretch uh, of the game, you know, you'd always like to, um, to make up ground, you know, when, when those two guys are out of the game. Um, you know, I felt like we continued to attack. Um, there were some situations with, you know, if we could have got a few shots to fall, we may have been able to make a little more of a run. Um, you know, and they were able to, to build a lead during during that that stretch and and beyond. But I, I thought, you know, both Kawhi and PG made um, made some big shots. Um, Kawhi, in particular, you know, got to his mid range, and uh, particularly when they were small, um, it's tough tough to handle when they have shooting around that. It's very difficult to help, and he's so um, he's so good in, in that mid range area. Ben Anderson, KSLSports.com. Quinn, you've talked a lot about the value of learning to play with a lead. Is there also value in learning to play from behind and, and what that can do the rest of the season? Yeah, I think, you know, every situation, you know, has its challenges. Um, obviously, it's you'd like to have to learn, you know, to play with the lead tonight. That wasn't the case. And um, I think you saw, you know, our team that, you know, it was competing and um, you never know what the game's going to look like. And that's why, you, you know, you keep playing and keep competing. Last question, Andy Larson, Lake Tribune. When they had success with that small lineup uh, with Marcus Morris at center, how did you guys want to defend that? And kind of how, you know, how do you want to compensate with those kind of looks when, when teams play you that way? Well, that, that's a tough matchup, you know, for, for us, for anyone really. Um, because they just put shooting all around the floor, um, you know, and you, you want to be able to try and help, 
Um, but then again, you know, you, it, it's hard to come off anybody. We, we, we came off Pat Beverly one time and he made a big shot. Um, you know, the next time they missed, but we didn't get a rebound. Um, we changed matchups a few times and, you know, when you are in those situations, you're going to give something up and, you know, we, we have to be able to scramble, you know, when we're in rotations. And as I said, sometimes that makes it even more difficult to come up with a, with a big rebound, but give, give Pat credit. You know, he, he made a big shot. He's a confident player, you know, and I, I don't know that that stretch necessarily cost us the game, but to your point, Andy, you know, when they do play Morris at the five, it is a unique lineup because he's such a good shooter, too. All right, there's Quinn Snyder, his thoughts after the Jazz lose to the Clippers. Now, here's Donovan Mitchell, who will go over in detail some of the plays that they botched in the final five minutes, and I think he's going to be spot on as far as the rebounds, uh, his shot selection, and I thought he was probably a little harder on himself there. It was a little deep, and it was early, but it was also wide-open look, and he's hit those shots before. But the fact that they didn't hit that three and they gave up three at the other end, huge turn of events. And then you just can't give up the offensive rebounds. Those with a minute to go, that was that was a major problem. Uh, here's Donovan. Don, Coach was said that he was pleased with the way you guys competed, and there's a lot you can take away from this game. What is it that you learned from this one tonight? Um, like he said, you know, we competed. You know, at the end of the day, you know, to start the game, you know, they played solid defense. They made, they made tough shots. You know, they're, they're a good team They're you know, and that at the end of the day, we, 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 we lost the game, I would say on the boards, you know, I think that was second chance points. I think that's what really hurt us, you know, but if you look at the overall game, you know, we played solid defense throughout, but you know, they just, they came out there and got the extra little boards and, and the rebounds. And we just got to do a better job of that. I had one, JC had one, we all had one, you know, and I think that's something we can look at and say, okay, how do we fix these mistakes? You know, and I think that's what I say whenever, whenever we win games, I say, we're not trying to be this team in February. We're trying to be there in, in July. And, you know, I think this is a, this is a, a bump in the road and a good one. In my opinion, I think this is something we can look at and say, okay, you know, we stayed with them, but this is what separated the game. And um, I think that's, we, I'm, I'm proud of the way we played and competed, like you said, but there's definitely room for improvement in that area. And, you know, we got to go out there and do it. David James, KTV. <laughs> Donovan, it looked like you uh, had some issues offensively that you were solving as the game went along. Can you kind of speak to that, some of the things you figured out as you put together some runs later you couldn't do early? Yeah, I mean, i got to give credit to Pat, man. Like, you know, he's his first team all defense for a reason. Um, made my life, you know, hard to start the game. You know, he kind of set the tone, you know, and I think that was just, you know, credit to him. You know, I, I give him, I'm giving him credit for that. But for me, you know, you know, seeing that and finding ways to just play through it, you know, not necessarily putting the ball in the rim, but kind of finding guys, using myself as a decoy in certain instances to get guys open shots, you know, and I think letting the game come to me naturally was tough, you know, when I had those two fouls, but then when you get to the second half and, you know, you're not worried so much about getting that third one and getting that fourth one early. Now you're starting to be aggressive. I'm starting to be aggressive and continuing to get into the lane and attack and, you know, um, but, you know, as far as the struggles, the, the, the early struggles, you know, I, Give Pat his credit, man. You know, he's, he's a hell of a defender. Um, they, all did a, they all did a good job. But, you know, as a group, you know, I think it, it helped me, you know, kind of get going when, you know, we, guys are kind of seeing, telling me what they see, you know, being able to share the ball, being able to bring the ball up, being able to score, doing all those different things. But, you know, that's where it started. And Anderson, KSLSports.com. Don, how was it to have uh, Mike back? <sighs> 
see the start of the game. <laughs> uh, man, he's, he's, um, he's, uh, it's great to have Mike, you know, someone you come out there, you know, can give you seven, nine like that, you know, then maybe it's five assists like that. Maybe it's five rebounds. Just, you know, having his presence out there is huge. You know, on top of that, his defense, you know, obviously he was on a little bit of a restriction tonight, but you know, that's, that's, we miss his presence for sure. We miss his, his game, his play. Um, in my opinion, you know, he's, he should be an all-star, um, and I'm hoping he is. I'm praying he is, and, you know, he deserves it. But um, it's definitely good to have him back out there and competing. And, you know, as, as he plays more, we'll start to, you know, get back to it. But, you know, didn't look like he missed a beat, <laughs> uh, to be honest with you. He's been working hard in, in practice and, you know, in his, in his own time and kind of doing the treatments necessary to stay on the course. And you saw it tonight. Tim McMahon, ESPN. Donovan, what significance do you take out of this stretch where you guys have won 20 or 22, whether it's maybe you've proven something as a team or, or strides that you've made? Uh, I think, you know, the biggest thing is what we see in ourselves. You know, it's not so much proven to everybody else. I think the biggest thing is we're taking away how we win games. You know, yeah, we've won. It's like 16 game by double digits, but you know, some of those games, it's a four point game and then we blow it open. You know, you look at a game like this, this is probably our first game, first close game in a, in a while, you know, so I think there's just continue building blocks, you know, some of them happen to be through wins and tonight was a loss. Uh, but I think for us, just understanding how we go about games, you know, our execution late game was, was, was great. And they may, the shot may not always go in ex late game, but tonight was good. You know, it was a good sign to see how we can execute plays and draw up things and execute them on the floor. Um, you look at other games, you know, the way we respond, you know, they're getting hit first, the way we hit first, you know, there's so many different things that we've seen throughout this stretch. But uh, as I said before, Tim, you know, we're not here to, you know, be satisfied with what happens today, tomorrow. You know, we were getting ready for, for the, the long haul second half of the season and then playoffs, you know, and we got to continue to be this team and not just be this team in the first half of the season. Maxime, the free agent. Uh, what uh, did you miss in money time? You, you make uh, three points, catch three points, but the, what do you miss exactly? Sorry, I didn't. I didn't hear the part. Sorry. What do you miss in money time? Not from you, but from the team. What do I miss as far as like? What, what did you guys need to do? Oh, okay, okay. Um, I think the biggest thing, you know, I give Royce his credit how he guarded Kawhi down the stretch. We got to get in there and help him out on the boards. Um, those two offensive boards were winning plays by Kawhi, and we got to get in there and help him. You know, he played great defense to force a miss, and we got to be able to have his back. You know, I think those were costly. Um, about the 442 mark, you know, I had gotten to the basket, you know, before, and then I shot a three and they come down and hit a three. That's a seven point game. And then they have to climb uphill from that. You know, that was a bad shot selection on my, on my part. Um, but we did a good job of competing. So there's definitely little things that we can, you know, look at it and try and fix, but all in all, you know, it's not always going to be perfect. And I think the way we defended, the way we guarded, the way we went about the whole entire game, I think we can look back on this and, you know, say, all right, this is what we need to do, but not hang our head because it wasn't a bad loss for us. I think we can learn a lot. I think there's a lot of things we can um, continue to do well. All right, there is Donovan Mitchell, and now here is Rudy Gobert. If you felt like it was a playoff game, well, you're not alone. Listen to Rudy. Hey, Rudy, Coach said that this one tonight is a learning opportunity for you guys facing a full-strength Clippers team. What did this one show you? I mean, it's it's a very good team. You know, they came out rested they came out ready and uh you know the i think the it felt like a playoff game you know the the intensity uh the tough shots that they were making all night uh you know it was a it was a great opportunity for us to 
no, just keep getting better. Andy Larson, Salt Lake Tribune. Rudy, you guys got out rebounded, uh, offensive out rebounded, eleven to six, and then the second chance points were sixteen to eight. What guys? What can you do better? You know, obviously they're a long team, but what can you do better against them in the, in the rebounding category? Just uh, you know, get hit, get physical, and get get the boards. You know, obviously uh, when uh, when there's Kawhi, Paul, Paul George posting up, you know, and uh, we get cross match. Uh, you know, the other guys just go and, and crash and we got to find a way to, you know, uh, communicate better and uh, just box out and get, get those rebounds. You know, I think uh, I think that was the key tonight. You know, we they hit a lot, a lot of tough shots, contested mid-range, and uh, that's kind of what they do. You know, some nights they're going to make more, some nights less, but uh, if you get those rebounds, uh, you know, we, we win this game. Quick follow-up on that. Is that harder when they have Marcus Morris at center and you guys are kind of scrambling to figure out how to cover all five of their shooters? No, because I'm comfortable guarding that. You know, at the end of the day, uh, whether it's Ibaka, Marcus Morris, or Zubak on the boards, you know, uh, when when Kawhi, when Kawhi gets an open lane, I mean, I have to, I have to do something. I, I can't just stay on, on, the, on Pat Beverly in the corner. <laughs> you know, I have to make sure Kawhi doesn't get a dunk and... Uh, you know, and if uh, if Pat Beverly is gonna hit threes or contested threes, we're gonna you know we're gonna leave it that. And he hit two tonight. There's Rudy Gobert. Now here is Mike Conley. Welcome back, Mike. I know it wasn't the outcome you wanted, but how nice was it to be back out there with your guys tonight? Um, it was it was great to finally get to get let off the leash. I I like to say, you know, been waiting for a while to to get out there and play, and um, been feeling good for a while, so. I'm just really happy to be back. Sarah Todd, Desert News. Mike, how, how encouraging is it that, you know, you guys obviously didn't play uh, your best game tonight, and there are things that can be cleaned up, but even so, you were kind of right there with them at the end. Um, you know, it is encouraging. You know, we knew that this team is, uh, you know, one of the top teams in the league, especially when everybody's in the lineup and, um, their ability to, to cause problems both offensively and defensively throughout games are, are, are what we're going to have to compete against and, and, and have to beat in order to get to our ultimate goal. So um, for us to play a game like we played tonight and to be able to finish the way we did and execute down the stretch against a good team like this, um, I think it's a great lesson. Andy Larson, Salt Lake Tribune. Mike, how how important is kind of the All Star nomination? Yes or no to to you? Would that I mean, what would that mean if you were nominated? Or kind of what are your thoughts on that right now? Um, you know, that would be, mean the world to me. Obviously, um, it would say a lot about you know me as a person uh, after the year I had last year to come back and um, compete at the level I've competed at, and I I do feel like I've played um, well enough. You know. To, to be in that conversation and to, and to quite frankly, be, you know, one of those reserves. So um, I think that uh, this year, you know, just everything is, is falling into place where we are the best, you know, best record. And, you know, we got a coach um, coaching the team, you know, the West team. So um, it's all falling in line. So if it's not going to happen this year, man, it's, it's, uh, that'll be tough. There's Mike Conley after the loss to the Clippers, and he would absolutely definitely like to go to the All-Star game. It's, uh, I think there'll be 13 All-Stars in the West, not 12, because it doesn't look like AD is going to play. So, but it's going to be tight to get in because it's easy to make a case for 15 guys. 
and it doesn't look like there's going to be 15 spots. So musical chairs at the end. All right, uh, we'll uh, get to more on the NBA next. Shane Young joins us, covers the NBA for Forbes, spent the week in L.A. because the Clippers played the the Jazz a couple times and the Nets, so he got to see some of the best teams, and he got a Laker game on Thursday as well. We'll get to Shane next. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280, The Zone. Time to listen to Shane Young from Forbes. He joined us late in the show on Friday. His thoughts on the NBA and how things are stacking up as we near the All-Star break. Here's Shane Young with PK and I. Shane, good morning. Good morning. How you guys doing? Good. So I'm curious, are you in L.A. because it's L.A. and it's February, or were you drawn more specifically by the Clippers and the Jazz twice and the, the Lakers and the Nets, or you were escaping Texas and freezing weather and... New Jersey and freezing weather, and America and yeah. freezing weather. <laughs> good point. I got to say, uh, as good as the Jazz are, as dominant as the Jazz are, the the pull was more towards um, escaping where I'm from, Louisville, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. It was 10 degrees, ice, and snowstorms, and I'm not cut out for it, man. <laughs> yeah, we can understand that. That's for sure. I grew up in Phoenix and uh, worked in the Los Angeles market here. So I got you on that. I understand that completely. And I think that's part of the reason maybe why the Lakers have been so good for so many years. We're approaching the, uh, not quite there, but uh, getting closer to the halfway point of the season. Uh, Evaluate the Western Conference for us. The West is is in a weird spot where I thought it was going to be really loaded and really deep from probably one to seven in terms of not, you know, not all seven teams or eight teams being title contenders, but at least, you know, on the same plane as that 2014 season where it was just loaded with, you know, 50 win teams or 2008, where I think you had to, you had to win 49 games to get into the playoffs, but really you only see three legitimate title contenders or you know, finals contenders in the West this year, when really we 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 would normally see a lot of teams that uh, had a punter's chance. And the East is a different story. The East, there's two teams that have really stuck out: Brooklyn and Philly, and then everyone else has dropped off from there. The Bucks are just very stale this year. And so the E or the, for the West, what I'm seeing is two teams that are that are you know the the Lakers and Clippers. They're they felt like they were on a collision course for the last couple of years to meet in the West Finals and kind of like you know battle it out to see who's the best in LA. It didn't get to happen last year. Um, the, the bubble, the, all the circumstances behind it, kind of ruined the Clippers' chances last year. And now you're you're in a, it's a scenario where the the Lakers and Clippers are looking at, at each other, saying, "Look, we might not even have it this year because the Jazz." Are twenty four and five on pace for sixty eight wins over a eighty two game schedule, which is just absurd. If you think about those Warriors teams with Kevin Durant, 
they the most they won with KD was 67 games. So like for the Jazz at this point in the season to be that good or better is just it's it's honestly unbelievable. I even I think even the most optimistic Jazz person, the the most optimistic Jazz homer wouldn't even say that they expected this type of offensive production. Like normally you see, you know, you, the the Quinn Snyder teams, they share the ball. They are moving constantly, but they're, but but the shooting and the efficiency just isn't quite at the level that, that they want. This year, it's been the opposite. One of the, if not the best shooting teams, because of how many guys they have, they can just shoot forty plus percent and, and and light it up from the corners. And then you have team, and then you have players that can get downhill like Donovan Mitchell uh, and really finish at the rim. So. I think I think it more so it's the Lakers and Clippers looking, you know, looking around saying, "Hey, we might have to play in the second round instead of get to the conference finals because the Jazz, honestly, in my opinion, I think the Jazz are going to run away with the one seed when it's all said and done because of how easy their second half schedule will be." Do you think that the Lakers, once they see they can't get one, and think there isn't that much of a difference between two and three with Anthony? Davis hurt long term here that they're really going to throttle back and maybe even throttle back on LeBron who's playing every game and playing big minutes and mm-hmm. carrying a big ch- chunk of the load. Do you, do you think the the Lakers kind of downshift here and or do you think they make a move and try to uh, add some talent and go for it? It's a great point you make because in theory, like if you're a coach, like if I know if I was a coach, I would definitely use the post all-star break you know the last what 30 something games to pick out a few for lebron to rest and for lebron just to not play um the the gear up for a playoff run now that that might mean that you're going to end up the four seed or the five seed you know the suns currently at fifth are 17 and 10 only two losses behind the lakers so it's not it's not like inconceivable that la could drop down there without Anthony Davis. Because, you know, Frank Vogel said that AD is going to be out at least another four weeks. Now, people took that four weeks and ran with it, thinking he's going to come back, you know, March 18th. He said that that's just an estimation, so it could be even longer. So I think I think the Lakers are going to drop back. Um, they play a lot of good teams coming up, I think. And then it, it's also a scenario where it, it, Frank Vogel's in a weird spot, and I and – I, don't envy this spot these in um, because, you know, LeBron has historically said, at least over the last three or four regular seasons, he is not taking games off. And it, it, it would be a different story, man, if, if he wasn't, like, chasing and hunting this MVP that he, that he, for some reason, wants to prove that he can get. Um, you know, in, in my opinion, you would think that just the, the finals MVP and blowing through teams in the, in the playoffs like he did in the bubble would be enough, but he seems to want that validation to, to get the regular season MVP that he thinks he was robbed of from Giannis, uh, which he wasn't by the way. So I, I think, I think it's, I think LeBron is going to have more of a say on that than Frank Vogel, oddly enough, even though, you know, Vogel should be able to say, look, LeBron, you're going to rest at least 10 games so we can get, so we can get you fully geared up and fully healthy, and then Anthony Davis will be back. You'll both be 100% for the first and second and third rounds. It, 
So honestly, I think the Lakers are going to fall to four or five, um, but that's not going to that's not going to be an indication of how good they are. So I agree with you as far as even the biggest Jazz homer, and we're in the land of Jazz homers, didn't have them uh, to this level. I don't think anybody did. My realistic thing as we went into the season was that if things broke their way and, and played as well as they could, they'd have a shot at the two seed. I thought that was possibility, mm-hmm. but I wasn't saying that it was a lock and that they should be able to get that fairly easily. I thought things had to go well. And now one seed obviously is in play. So with that in mind, my expectation of a potential two seed, now talking one seed, what do you think as you've seen is the difference there or the surprise there that allows us, somebody like Mike case to say well two seed is the ceiling but now no it's actually one seed yeah i thought you know the ceiling that that's kind of where i was too like they could potentially beat out one of the la teams if, if they struggled now i'm you know i'm not sure like if you guys have been following me for a while but i i i still believe the clippers at full strength with their healthy lineup are the best team in the west and you know if you have the lineup of Pat Bev, uh, Kawhi, PG, Batum, or Marcus Morris, whichever you prefer, and Serge Ibaka, I think that just offers the the best switchability, the best spacing and shooting in the league. Uh, but we just haven't seen enough. I think that lineup has only played maybe 13 or 14 games together. They've lost two games. So it's, you know, the, the Clippers have an availability issue. I don't think they have an on-court issue right now like they did last year. So I think if the Jazz just continue to do this, and look, I mean, nobody likes this comparison because it's it's the freaking Warriors, but um, <laughs> they, they do have the best point differential in non-garbage time minutes. You know, it, it's like right there with the 2017 Warriors. Um, it, so if you just take out all the garbage time where Quinn Snyder pulls his starter, pulls his main guys, and playing his bench, um, and only count, like, you know, the the – the competitive minutes Utah's on that plane. So um, I, I think, I think the jazz, you know, people are going to say, even the people that pick them to be first or second, like you said, uh, I, I think what I would tell them is we, we still have to see it in the playoffs to believe it. And that's, that's how it's going to be for all these teams. Like a team that's never won the title or, or that's never been to the finals uh, in the last 20 plus years it's not, you know, you're not going to get the validation unless you do it in the first and second round first and get to the conference finals, and then people start to, like, take you seriously. I've never been of the mindset it should take that long. I think regular season play is pretty indicative of how good you are. Um, but, yeah, I think there's people that's still going to be nervous about how can Donovan Mitchell score against switching defenses in the playoffs. Like, how can he score whenever the Clippers and Lakers are switching bigger and, and more you know, like physical bodies onto him. There's always going to be questions like that. And then, of course, like Jordan Clarkson having just a phenomenal season. I I can't believe it. I'm sitting there in person on uh, Wednesday night and seeing him pull up with virtually no space after ball screens. And that's something that his confidence really – his confidence has always been high, but he he didn't have that type of confidence with the Lakers or Cavs. So it's, it's jarring to see him turn into one of the best pull-up shooters in the NBA now. <laughs> um, but how can he do against switching defenses off the bench, like in the playoffs in the second round when it's game five, series tied 2-2? Two, two. 
there's always going to be questions like that, man. And until they do it, they're not going to get the validation from the national guys. And that's unfortunate because, you know, a, a team this a team this dominant on both sides of the ball should be getting looked at a little bit more. Joined right now by Shane Young, NBA columnist and analyst for Forbes Sports, working in L.A. this week because Kentucky's really cold and L.A.'s got big NBA games and it's really warm, so it works out. Uh, you know, the flip side of that is kind of like part two to what you just said, is yes, the Jazz have to prove it in the playoffs, but it's also hard to assess this because two of the teams that look like really strong contenders, the Nets and the Clippers mm-hmm. aren't putting their guys out there. We're not seeing them at full strength. So while the regular season can be a pretty good indicator of how you are, we also know that the the number one seed in the playoffs hasn't won the thing the last three years. You can be two, three, or four in the regular season and get it. And if the Nets and Clippers aren't going to play their guys, how are we supposed to figure this out? Yeah, precisely. And you would think that it's a it, – it's – you know, when you say it like that, you would think, oh, Nash and, 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 and Ty Lu are just, you know, not playing their full cards. They're kind of just keeping things in their back pocket. But no, like it's just been, it's been one of those weird seasons where Kevin Durant's issue is hamstring related and they're not even comfortable putting him out there because they know how a hamstring injury can linger and the health and safety protocols have kept them out for what, three or four or five games. So uh, it's, you know, the Nets have just gotten unlucky. Uh, the Clippers, it's it's really kind of the same thing, man, where Paul George has a toe injury that you would think, oh, okay, a toe injury is not that bad. He could play through it eventually. But, hey, it, it's, I've seen those injuries keep people out for three or four weeks because he just doesn't heal up as fast as other, other parts of the body, it seems. And Kawhi, Kawhi's issue has just been like he – he got busted in the mouth by Serge Ibaka on a freak accident play. Cost him a couple games. Uh, health and safety protocols cost him two more games. And then he has a, a I think it's called it a bone contusion on him in his lower leg uh, that he suffered against Cleveland last week. So that they're kind of being cautious with him. And you know, actually, funny enough, I think Ty Lue might be. I know Paul George and, and Kawhi are kind of like not healthy enough to play right now. They they could play tonight. They're questionable. We don't know yet um but he's the coach that i could see kind of like just throwing away these games against utah you know maybe throw away the games against the lakers down the stretch of the season uh, because they play the la lakers two more times uh because he, he you know first year head coach with this team uh i, I think maybe it's like uh oh let, let me just not show everything that i have let me let me keep this unit rested for the playoffs so so the jazz and lakers don't have much film to go off against us to know how we're going to play against them. So uh, I could see it being that kind of scenario with, with the Clippers for sure. So for the sake of argument, let's slot the Jazz in at the number one seed and also for the sake of argument that they get past whoever is in that concocted eight spot. So my point that I want to go with you is the second round, and right now we don't know, but there's two or three teams, maybe you want to go four teams, that could potentially play the Jazz in the second round. Can you evaluate who you would consider the most dangerous? In the second round? Yeah, the potential Jazz matchup in the second round, knowing that there's mm-hmm. maybe two or three teams that could be a possibility. Who do you I like? I think the there? answer, yeah, the, the answer is undoubtedly the best the best shooter, the best scorer from a 
from the point guard position that I've ever seen, that's Steph Curry. I, I would be frightened. Now, I, I completely understand that Denver is a better is a better team overall, and you know the Jazz definitely have uh, a little bit of nightmare from from the Denver Nuggets, you know, considering what the Jokic dropped thirty five and a half against them this year, <laughs> and then also uh, you know beat them in the bubble in that in that really tough seven game grind. But I I would I think I would easily pick the Jazz over the Nuggets in a series this year, maybe in, you know, five or six games. I, I, I think whenever they're rolling, I think Utah's defense is just so unbearable to to a team like Denver. So I think it would be – I think Utah would would kind of fare pretty well against Denver this time around versus in August, September. Uh, but I, I think the Warriors would be a team that, you know, even though the shooting and scoring around Steph, and you know the Jazz blew them out when they were when they were in Salt Lake City. What was that a few weeks ago? So I completely understand why people might roll their eyes about that, but I, I just don't think you want to get into a battle where Steph could go for forty. He could average forty five for the first three games in the series, and it could be two one Warriors, and you know people would, would be freaking out. So I think that might be the team that that you. You're not going to try to avoid them. The Jazz are going to continue to win games as they should to be the one seed. But, but you know, if Golden State's lingering there and they're they're in the play-in tournament and they end up the eight, then yeah, that that could be a little alarming because you know I don't care how dominant Rudy Gobert is defensively or how dominant Mike Conley has been when he's been healthy guarding point guards. Uh, Steph, there, there's no solution for him pulling up 35 feet uh, behind the screen. There's just no solution for it. So of the Blazers, Suns, and Spurs, who are currently 4-5-6, is there, I don't know if I want to call them a fraud, is there a weak link? Is there someone that is a Jazz fan, you're like, yeah, that's the the breather in the second round? Well, like the Spurs have been been strange, right, where I don't think that, I don't think a lot of people really just look at them as this genuine six-seed at 16-11, like they just, they have a negative point differential. The Spurs at five games over 500 have been outscored on the season. So um, I'm not, I don't know if I'd call them a fraud because no one's considering them to even win a, a couple games in the playoffs. They're not even expecting that. So uh, they're kind of just there, right? They're, they're there because of Pop and the young guys that are thriving. So the Spurs are there, but they're not serious. No, no one would take them seriously in the playoffs to, to me. Uh, the Blazers, the Blazers are fun because, like, on paper, when they're healthy, they should be where they are now. They should be, uh, you know, winning 65% of their games. They should they should have an MVP candidate in Damian Lillard, which they do, and it, it things should be fine. But they haven't been healthy, and they're still here. So I think they're more on the legitimate side. Um, but, but, again, like, uh, the benefit of Utah not ha- not being in that bracket or not being there um, – you know, well, they would have to play Portland in the first round. So, you know, that that is kind of that is kind of crazy if if they do get Dame Lillard, uh, or not, not in the first round, in the second round. Sorry. So, they might have to avoid Dame Lillard and stuff like that, and it might be easy for them to do that at getting the one seed. So that's another benefit of winning, just kind of kind of uh, you know dictating your own path through it. Um, but you know, Portland would be kind of kind of serious to me. I I don't think I would be concerned if I was a if I was a Lakers, Clippers, Jazz, I, I wouldn't be concerned about Portland. But it's a team that you, you might have to just pencil in for like a, a good long six-game series just because of how they shoot the ball. 
but you know, I, I've always been fascinated by Phoenix too. I'm not sure how you guys feel about the new look Suns, but I kind of thought they were going to be like this league leading or, or close to league leading offense and maybe struggle defensively just because, you know, a lot of their guys are still kind of young. And then you bring in Chris Paul, who he's, he's really good defensively, but he's, you know, not a spring chicken. I thought they, I thought they might struggle on that end, but it's been kind of the opposite. They've been like, you know, league average offensively, uh, really, really good at, at certain points on defense. Uh, do I think the Suns are a title contender? No, but being in the four or five bracket there, that, that that's that, that that's the perfect spot for them. So there is a clear separation line, by the way. Like after the third team, after the Clippers, which you could argue, you could even argue the Clippers are the best team in the West uh, from a playoff standpoint. And you know, there's a good line of demarcation under them that says the rest of the West is kind of kind of just eh. You know, it's kind of like Eastern Eastern Conference level talent after the third spot. Well, Shane, we appreciate a few minutes this morning. Thanks for uh, not going down to the beach and hanging out with us. <laughs> for sure. Oh, yeah, anytime. I'll, I'll talk jazz over laying in the sun anytime. There's Shane Young from Forbes, covers the NBA, based in Louisville. That's the right time to take a trip to L.A. right there. That was a good time for a week in L.A. Big games, good teams, and much better weather. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines, the jazz, the NBA, college hoops, uh, great day of PGA golf on Sunday. We'll get to all of that next. Stay with us. Your day has just begun. Yeah. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280, The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Yeah. Hashtag Utah Jazz. Beverly's going to inbound baseline far side. Get it in George. Corner jumper on the way. Oh, Paul George. The moonshot goes. PG-13 finds nothing but nylon from just inside the arc. Right to left, Leonard into the front court. Down the middle of the lane off the Zubas screen. Right elbow jumper fading away. Oh, Kawhi Leonard is a machine. George on the right wing. Down the middle of the lane on Bogdanovich. Backing down now at the dotted line. Free throw line jumper on the way. It rolls down. PG-13 with a shooter's bounce. Well, the Jazz lost to the Clippers Friday night, 116-112. That's the end of a nine-game win streak. Time to start another one. That's what we said after the 11-game win streak, and then they did it. They get the Charlotte Hornets tonight, who are game under 500. Gordon Hayward's back. PK, got a couple things you'd like to say about the Clippers. Put that game to rest and then look ahead to a busy week. That was a fun game. You know, the guys said it was a playoff atmosphere and the, and a lot of intensity, and the Clippers were close to full strength. Kennard didn't play, but their big guns played, and they played well, and they were obviously up for that game, and it showed because they turned around and then lost to the Miami Heat. Jazz and Hornets tonight. We'll get to more on the Clippers. We've got a lot of you. Uh, question of the day, near full-strength Clippers beat the Jazz. Who among you is in the I-told-you-so crowd? We'll get to that coming up. Also, the Jazz and Hornets tonight. Gordon Hayward is back. Zone Network coverage begins at 6 o'clock with Jazz Game Night, the pregame show. DJ and PK. Hashtag NBA. 
Brooklyn Nets beat the Clippers, so the Clippers are now three games behind the Jazz, 112-108. Clippers came from 15 down in the fourth quarter, tied the game up. But PK, an offensive foul. They're normally swallowing the whistle with eight seconds to go. And Kawhi Leonard got called for an offensive foul for wiping away James Harden, who definitely sold it. So you didn't think the call should have been made? Is that what you're saying? No, I didn't, actually. I thought that was a total no-call down the stretch. And honestly, I thought that could have been a no-call in the middle of the game. How about the beginning? Definitely a no-call then. <laughs> I thought it was interesting that uh, Kawhi, or, uh, Paul George was on a minutes restriction. They wouldn't let him go 35, so they sat him down at 33. Well, if that's the case, then Ty Lewis got to figure out a way where he's rested earlier. So he's able to play at the end of the game. That was really funky. Unless you don't want him to play at the end of the game because he's not really good at the end of the game. Well, then you're not going to win anything if that's the case. I think think a lot of people believe you have just spoken truth right there. Really? Why would we we obsess about the Jazz and Clippers then if Paul George isn't going to be in at the end of the game? He will be. But if he's not good enough to be in the end of the game, whether he's in there or not, then they won't get it done. Right. So then why They might get it done in an early series, but they won't get it done. Somebody will get them, whether it's the Jazz or it's the Lakers or it's the Nets or whoever. Well, sure. If you're going to take the Clippers versus the league, you're probably going to uh, lose that bet. If you take the league versus the Clippers, you're probably going to win that bet. James Harden, 37 points, 11 rebounds, 7 assists. Durant didn't play. He's missed uh, four games in a row now. But that was a great road trip for the Nets. They swept all five on a Western swing. They played the four California teams and the Phoenix Suns. They beat the Suns. That's the Suns' only loss in the last eight games. And the Nets now have won uh, eight in a row against the West. So while most of the East might be stinking it up, are the Nets a legit threat to win it all? Eight straight games, eight straight wins against the West in its regular season, but that's got to stand for something. Oh, if that's your question you're asking me, absolutely they're a threat to yep. win it all. When you've got that much talent, there's no question you're a threat to win it all. Yeah, and they did most of that trip without Durant, so it's an awfully big piece of the puzzle right there. Kyrie Irving had 28-8 and eight in that win last night. Elsewhere in the NBA, the Hawks beat the Nuggets 123-115. to The Nuggets continue with the two steps forward, three steps back, one step forward, two steps back all over the place. Trey Young outdueled Jamal Murray. 35 points, 15 assists, and Atlanta gets the win. Denver or Dallas, most disappointing team in the West right now? Oh, Denver all the way. Denver sitting in seventh place in the West now. 16 and 14. Just a couple yeah, of I, I told you it was pointless to worry about what happened in the freaking bubble with those guys. Elsewhere in the NBA, Raptors beat the Sixers. The final score, 110-103. Fred Van Vliet leading the way, 23-9. and With the Nets winning, the Sixers losing. The Sixers are now just a half game in front of the Nets in the race for the best record in the Eastern Conference. Seems inevitable, doesn't it, PK, that the Nets are going to be on top in the East. Uh, in my mind, they already are. Pelicans beat the Celtics in OT, 121-15. Pelicans were down 24. They completed the largest comeback in franchise history to win that game in OT. Amazing. 
Minnesota Timberwolves fired head coach Ryan Saunders after the loss to the Knicks dropped them to an NBA worst 7-24. Franchise locking in on finalizing a deal with Toronto Raptors assistant Chris Finch to become the Timberwolves' new head coach. They'll reportedly assume the role tomorrow while keeping the team's assistant coaching staff in place. Now what? We only have three sons of former NBA head coaches who are head coaches in the NBA? Can I name them? I don't think I can. I probably should be able to. Bickerstaff comes to mind immediately. Well, you just spoke of one team extensively. Now I've got to run back through which team it was I was speaking about extensively. The Nets! Nope, that's just ask me if they were uh, the most disappointing team. Ah, the Nuggets! I was going to say Mike Malone. Malone, yes. And who's the third one? A Silas. Yes, there you go. Houston. DJ and PK. Hashtag college basketball. Long time ago, Dave Rose was on our show, former BYU basketball coach, and at the end he told us, you got a nice thing going here, don't mess it up. That solid advice for BYU seems to have played themselves into a, a nice spot in the NCAA tournament. Of course, you can't mess it up by losing on the road in the West Coast Conference, and they didn't even come close to messing it up. They handled Saturday's game in Loyola as well as they could have. They were up 13-2, 20 in the first half, 30 in the second half. Well, scored the last 15 points of the game so that they only lost by 17. It's a dominating performance. BYU should be much better, and they were much better. Yeah, I mean, that's classic West Coast Conference. Those teams have no interest in competing in basketball, and they don't. BYU improves to 17-5 and on the year, 8-3 and in the league, coming home for a couple games this week. Utah, a couple of late turnovers, played much better against Oregon than they did against Oregon State, but Oregon's a better team and had just enough to beat them 67-64. Game was tied late, Utes had leads at spots late, but Oregon gets out of there with the win. 9-10 and 10 for the Utes, they dropped below 500. That was pretty frustrating for those guys, PK. It was right there for the taking. It's been that way for a few games, and they, they couldn't get it done. I mean, they had a couple guys missing that are integral to their lineup, and so that makes them not nearly as good. So, I mean, at least they competed hard and gave them something, unlike against Oregon State. So I could live with that. I know it's disappointing for you fans are all in a ball of frustration because their once pretty impressive program is obviously mediocre now. Utah State on the verge of going to the NCAA tournament, but those were two difficult losses at Boise State. Again, very similar deal. They were down one with five minutes to go when they played Wednesday and Friday. They were tied with three minutes to go, but the Broncos made the big plays at the end of the game and eke out an 81-78 win. So the Aggies get swept 14-7 overall, 11-4 in conference. There's four good teams at the top of that conference that could go, PK, but I don't think all four of them go, and those two losses put the Aggies at risk of getting squeezed out. It's going to be pretty interesting down the stretch here. They're going to have some big games to play. Well, you follow Joe Lenardi and let me know what he says. Okay, I will. <laughs> Big Sky, Southern Utah, and Weber State battling for second in the conference, and they both got their sweep. Southern Utah by 20 over Sac State. Weber State by 22 over your Northern Arizona Lumberjacks. So they roll. And UVU lost to New Mexico State. Dixie State split with Tarleton State. DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. 
Carson Wentz bids farewell to Philly. A lengthy Instagram post called his five years with the Eagles an amazing journey. Also said, as one chapter ends, another one begins. He's going to be an Indianapolis Colts. And they agreed upon trade. They've got the start of the new NFL year, so everything kind of gets held up for that. But when we see football again, he'll be wearing a horseshoe and blue and white. Guess he had time to, if there was going to be an outburst, PK, he didn't let it happen. If he had an outburst, it was behind closed doors. Frustration, whatever. At least he's going to another decent team. They were a playoff team, so there's hope there. Yeah, I don't see why there would be any reason for an outburst. Eagles released Deshaun Jackson, joining the team in 2019 after being acquired for the Bucks. Reunited with the team who drafted him in 2008. 13 years in the NFL, that's a long run. Yeah. Assuming it's over now. See if someone else picks him up or if he's all done. Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes, his fiance Brittany Matthews, announced the birth of their first child. Sterling Sky Mahomes, 6 pounds, 11-ounce girl, born Saturday. Ooh, what? what? His fiance? Yep. Mm, honor code. <laughs> Chiefs honor code. Andy Reid might have to have a talk with him. DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. Dodgers Clayton Kershaw says he'll absolutely consider the possibility of re-signing with the team after his contract ends this season. Future Hall of Fame pitcher will turn 33 less than two weeks before opening day, and there's some thought he could retire after this year. Kershaw says, I'm on a year-to-year basis. I want to reevaluate at the end of every year and see how we're doing as a family, myself personally, where we are as a team, and then just make decisions from there. I have no intentions of hanging him up. I'm only 32. I feel like I have more years left in the tank. 32, I would think so, but I guess if you get asked the question, uh, give an answer that leaves your options open. Texas Rangers, watch out for them. He's a Dallas kid, and his uh, I think his, high, yeah, his wife is a high school gal that he knew from back then. She's from the area, obviously, so... Uh, you know, money talks at the same time. I don't think he's going to get in the 30-plus million that he's getting now. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if Texas made a little run for him. Big D, man. Get back to the Metroplex. Seattle Mariners president and CEO Kevin Mather apologized after his wide-ranging comments to a Rotary Club earlier this month's surface, calling his English-speaking capabilities of two members of the organization terrible and not tremendous. His comments were made to a Bellevue-Washington Rotary Club on February 5th were posted online over the weekend. Mariners not exactly piling up the winds under his stewardship. So, presidents and CEOs, they can be anonymous, but they can be pretty, uh, pretty important too. Think he's going to have to wear this in combination with their winning record or no? I have no idea what he's wearing here. I, I don't understand this story at all. He was negative about guys on the team behind closed doors. Well, he said that guys who didn't speak English well can't speak English well. I, I don't understand the story. Yeah, and he said that one guy uh, spoke English better after he told him he didn't want to pay for a $75,000 a year interpreter. Ooh, that's a decent gig. DJ and PK. Tony Finau, second playoff hole, and this to keep it going to a third. And this for a sand save par. 
Sends this on the way up to the cup, has a chance to fall and will not. And Max Homa has won the 2021 Genesis Invitational. Homa missed a three-footer at 18. He would have won it all. Instead, the California kid beats Finau in the second playoff hole. Max Homa is now part of the championship culture of the city of L.A. L.A. kid wins it Riviera. Of course, referencing the Dodgers and Lakers. For Tony Finau, the West High Panther, a 64 on the final day. A whole bunch of birdies coming down the stretch. He did catch a huge break when Homa, who'd already birdied 17, almost birdied 18. Woulda, coulda, shoulda. That putt lipped out, but Homa gets it done. That shot from behind the tree was incredible, PK. Closing the club face and somehow whipping around that thing onto uh, the green. Yeah, was it really behind or was it to the side, though? It seemed like a little bit of both. More to the side. More to the but, side. He yeah. was able to get the club in there, but I didn't think he could get the club in there with an angle to get the ball to, to get the it green. To the green, yeah. That was a great shot. I mean, that, that whether no matter where it was, it was still a good shot. I get your point. But behind the tree would have been almost to the point of a trick shot, unbelievable. Next to maybe would have been better. Yeah, yeah. Fino shot a 64 to get into that playoff, so. Pretty frustrating to play that well on Sunday and then get beat, but he's one in three in playoffs now. Well, he had to make that putt uh, on, what was it, the first overtime hole? If you want to win the tournament, you're going to have to make that putt. That was a chance to do it, yep. Simple as that. It was a makeable putt. It's got to go down. Uh, And we hear this all the time. You know, we get... Oh man, he's 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 due. He's right there. It's just a matter. It's like a broken record, though. It's Groundhog Day with this young, with this guy, and, and we get it, man. He's a phenomenal golfer, and he's made over twenty million, and he made a boatload yesterday, and he'll go on and compete, and most likely be there. And everybody in the state of Utah just roots for him. That's just so funny, man. He's got so much love here locally. <laughs> Everyone is just a fan of his, and so desperately wants him to win. But you, you got to make the plays to go more in a sports vernacular. You got to make the shots, and in that case, you had to have made that putt. I don't know what other way to say it. Sure, I wanted him to make it too, just as much as everybody else. But you, you have to make that putt. And Homa was let off the hook. He was like the who was it? The Vikings? Who was the who was Denny Green? No, the Bears. We let him off the hook with that famous Cardinals and Bears. Yeah, yeah. We let him. I mean, homeless guy. He's three footer, and he doesn't make it. I mean, that's incredible. So he got fortunate. But Tony, and then it wasn't like it was a three footer that he missed. What was it? How far did they uh, range it at? Was it eight feet, ten feet? I don't even remember. It's around ten feet, but, I think. Yeah, but he, you make that thing and you win. I can live with what happened on the next hole, but uh, the par three. But that first one, gotta make that putt. It was a golden opportunity right there. Yeah. All right, DJ PK, that is what is trending, and it is brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There's no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider, is going to join us coming up at 8 o'clock. Rick Bunnell covers the Charlotte Hornets and the NBA for the Charlotte Observer. Jazz in Charlotte tonight. We will talk to Rick next. Stay with us. The Big Show Show. with Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. 
A woman was in the back country of Alaska and walked to the outhouse, sat down, and suddenly felt a bite on her butt. She screamed, looked down, and guess what was in there? A bear. A bear! In, in, in. That's kind of gross. You were entertaining this notion of traveling the country. But see, it's stories like this why I don't think you'd like it. Like outhouses to begin with. <laughs> I just don't think somebody used to the lifestyle that you're used to would function very well with outhouses and what is in said outhouse. I'll tell you one thing. <laughs> if a bear bit me in the butt, that would scare the crap right out of me. Oh. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O' Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJPK brought you in part by Jerry Signer Cadillac. At Jerry Signer Cadillac, you can shop your way and get a piece of luxury you deserve. Stop by and test drive one today. Jazz and the Hornets tonight. Rick Bennell covers the Hornets for the Charlotte Observer. He'll join us here in a few minutes. PK, we got the question of the day up. The near full strength Clippers beat the Jazz. Who's among the told you so crowd? Kyle says, well, the Jazz beat the full-strength Clippers team on New Year's Day at home. It would be a close and great series if the Jazz meet the Clips. Sounds like a safe assumption. A close and great series. Although, really, it'll only be a great series for Jazz fans if the Jazz end up winning said series. No, I think it could be a great series even if you lose. But if you're a fan, obviously that's all you care about is winning. So I understand that. Yeah, the way I look at this, if this two, these two teams should play in the postseason, I don't think anybody's sweeping the other guy. So obviously there's going to be losses involved if there's no sweep. And yeah, early in the season, uh, teams, the Jazz weren't really what they what they are. You know, what they start, 4-4, four and four, I think, if mm-hmm. I remember correctly. So... Uh, it was a little bit of a slow start. It's a quick slow start. I mean, it didn't extend. You know, normally you consider a start of, you know, 10, 15, 20 games, and they took off from the point of being 4-4 four and four and have obviously only had two losses since. So uh, in this run is when they captured the uh, attention at 4-4. Four and four, They weren't capturing anybody's attention. So I think there's some people who think, well, yeah, they got the Clippers on, uh, what was it, Wednesday but their big dogs were out, and then they come back. And it was clear the Clippers were jacked for that game. I don't think there's any question. National television and all that on a Friday night in the winter when uh, half the country is freezing its butt off. Uh, so uh, I don't know what the numbers were, but I imagine they were pretty good uh, as far as all that. So clearly the, the Clippers were hyped for the game because then they lose the next night against or two nights later last night against Miami. Sort of not that they fell flat, but they did lose. And, and Clippers made some plays that the Jazz need to go and look at and make sure it doesn't happen. And one thing that concerns me is the Clippers out rebounding the Jazz and then getting 11 offensive boards to the Jazz's only six. I think that was a little bit of a problem there. And then again, too, we have Joe coming off the bench and not nearly the factor that he was when he was starting in those six games. Uh, that uh, Conley was out. Joe's, I think he's had four games where he scored at least 20 points, and three of them came. Well, actually, I think all four of them have come when Conley's, or no, three came when Conley was out, one came when Mitchell was out. So does it come down to he's starting, or it comes down to instead of the ball handling duties getting split three ways or getting two ways, and he's getting a lot higher percentage of the usage, and he gets on the flow, and he gets going. 
as opposed to now he's standing over in the corner as a decoy and he doesn't get the ball because nobody's leaving him. And so other guys are playing two and two and three on three on the other half of the court. Yeah, and it's only one game, so uh, they got plenty of time to figure it out starting tonight against Charlotte. DJ PK, time to bring in Rick Benelli. He covers the Charlotte Hornets in the NBA for the Charlotte Observer. Rick, good morning. Hi, guys. How are you? Good. Good. Well, Jazz fans are, uh, are great, but, you know, they're not in the mood for back-to-back losses. They haven't had to deal with that in a while, and they don't want to deal with it now. So I suppose the question is, what kind of threat are the Charlotte Hornets? How much better are they looking as of late? Well, first off, guys, I will tell you, I, it's funny, I was having this conversation just the other day with Tim Bontemps from ESPN. We were comparing notes about this. The Hornets, coincidentally, they played the Sixers and the Jazz in back-to-back home games recently. So what I'm saying is I got a first-hand look at arguably the two best teams in the league, you know, in, in consecutive games. I thought the Jazz were a, were a significantly more complete team than the Sixers are. And that's not a knock on the Sixers. I'm saying that the Jazz has that real rarity right now of being exceptional at both ends of the floor. It's not a coincidence. It's not a, it's not one of those weird number things that don't, aren't really relevant that they're top five in the league in both offensive and defensive efficiency. They've got a lot of, you know, they've got a lot of weapons. Quinn is doing an exceptional job of coaching that team. Um, they're built to win, and I don't think this is going away. So, Rick, and in the full disclosure, I'm not watching the Hornets a ton, but I did watch them when they played the Jazz that you speak of in that game. And, you know, that was my first extensive rather than just highlight look at LaMelo Ball. And I thought, man, he obviously was awesome. Evaluate his progression for what he's been able to do so far as he's moved along his rookie season. And I believe he was coming off the bench earlier in the season and is now a starter. Everybody knew that he was going to be a, a you know, an impact passer right away. Um, initially, it was a surprise what a good rebounder he was. And the Hornets really need that. I mean, if you asked me um, at the end of last season, what is the what is the incredibly damning flaw about this team? Um, they have been last in the NBA in defensive rebound percentage in a really bad way. It's just so hard to be a good defensive team if you can't get the ball back at the end of, at the end of a stop. Um, Lamelo has been a much better rebounder than I think anybody could have anticipated. But the shocking thing is that in the last 10, 12 games, he's making threes. Um, nobody would teach somebody else to, th- to shoot the ball the way he does. Mechanically, it's flawed, but it goes through, and that's what matters. So a losing record, but 7-4 and four in the last 11 games, beating Miami and Milwaukee, some... Some nice wins mixed in there. Are they really figuring something out and taking a step forward here? You know, guys, um, it is. It was easily argued at the last, to the end of last season, that the Hornets had the least collective talent in the league. They had some interesting young pieces, but at the end of the day, you know, um, if Devontae Graham and PJ Washington are the two best players on your roster, then it's really hard to imagine you you know, advancing deep into the playoffs. That's not a knock on those guys. They're good players. But 
the Hornets had a had a dramatic need to upgrade the general base of their talent at anywhere. Um, you guys know this person better than anybody. Um, Gordon Hayward, the Hornets never thought they were going to have a shot at signing him. They did. Um, Gordon had immediately became the best player on this team. Um, he hasn't necessarily performed as the best player on this team, but he's more Utah um, Gordon than um, Boston um, Gordon in the sense that he's getting to the foul line again. I thought after the injury, um, the biggest effect that had on Gordon was I thought he got a little bit timid about going to the rim. And his free throw attempts are significantly up. He said that he was coming here not just for the money, because, but because he wanted to demonstrate that he could be the best player on a decent team. He has done that. Um, Hayward and Ball dramatically raised the floor of this team as far as collective talent. But the other thing that has happened quite lately is Terry Rozier is just going out of his mind. He is a guy in the last four games, he's averaging 36 points and gets this shooting 59% from three, including a buzzer beater um, at you know um, Saturday night against the Warriors. So that's Saturday. Yeah, we... Oh, go ahead. We saw that Saturday. I mean, Rozier, that was spectacular. <laughs> Particularly that shot. There's no question. He was absolutely awesome. Uh, and so, you know, it's clear to see those three guys at the top that you mentioned, Hayward, Rozier, and Ball, they're all decent, especially when you consider Ball's only 19 years of age. Wow, looks like he's got a very high ceiling. But can you tell us about the big man? At least from a distance, it looks like that might be a little bit of a weakness. Tony Zeller is having a good season, and I think that they will re-sign him. Um, I will say, I'm saying this with a high degree of confidence, that had the Hornets um, had the number one pick, they would have taken James Wiseman because of his really high potential and the fact that they really need to do something about um, you know about, about their situation at center. Um the Hornets have sort of cobbled together a situation where, you know, Cody starts. Um, Bismarck Biombo, who was at the tail end of his career, had to fill in for a month when Cody had a broken hand. And they play a lot of small ball with P.J. Washington at center. Um, it's awfully hard to play small ball against the Utah Jazz. I think, you know, the reason why is pretty obvious. Um, but, but you're absolutely right that if the Hornets – could do something um, it, in, in the short run. It would very clearly be do something about their interior. They, they're, they're guard heavy. They're actually going to have some cap room, aren't they? I mean, there'll be a chance to do it. Uh, yeah. Um, even with all the extreme things they had to do to, to sign Hayward, which, and, and remember, it was extreme. It wasn't just how much money they offered him. They, he's making... 120 million over four seasons, but they had to stretch um, the last season on Nick Batum's contract. It, according to Bobby Marks, it is the most extreme thing anybody's ever done as far as stretching a contract. Um, but even with having done all that, they're still going to have, you know, in the vicinity of 20 million dollars under the cap next summer. 
So we all know when Gordon left the Jazz, he was an all-star, right? I mean, that, that's just a fact. And the team looked like it was on the come, and, and then they got fortunate to, to pick up Mitchell in the way they've gone here, and now they're on top of the standings right now as we speak. And we understand the situation in Boston. You know, he breaks his, what was it, leg or ankle, whatever it was, like two minutes into the game, and then Tatum and Brown develop, and three years later he leaves. Now, I don't know if you can get this opportunity this year with everything being on Zoom and all, but he has he talked much about publicly for the folks in Charlotte about his experience with the Jazz? No, that's just that's such ancient history that it never really came up. I, I think I think when I did my long interview with him, the only the only the only area where it came up was kind of what I mentioned before that. You know, I asked him, I said, it seems like free throw attempts are a really important aspect of your game. Do you think you can get back to being Utah Jazz Gordon? And it's obvious from his performance that he's he's healthy again, and that matters. Frankly, the most interesting thing I find found out about Gordon, um, I'm, I'm really lucky that um, um, Ron Norad, um, an assistant coach for the Hornets, was Gordon's point guard at Butler. And Ron was just incredibly open in talking about what you need to understand about Gordon Hayward is he was an engineering major at at Butler. He has that kind of a mind as far as problem solving. I thought Ron put it so well when he said, you don't want to think of Gordon as a scorer. You don't want to think of Gordon as a passer. What you want to think of him about is a decision maker. But he's going to look at things, size, size up what a defense is doing, and whether he takes a shot or makes a pass, he's going to find a way to, to break down that defense on a very sophisticated intellectual level. I have absolutely found that to be the case. The Hornets had all kinds of problems in the past with late game, um, you know, with, with, with late and shot clock situations, and Gordon has improved them significantly in that way. Again, in the Zoom era, maybe you're not around, guys. You don't see him in the locker room and all that. Is he? I hate that, by the way. But the hardest part of my job is not having you know natural, organic interaction with players anymore. Right. So, is it hard to see if he's really bonding with the team, or I mean, can kind of be a little aloof at times, kind of separate from the guys? How's that working out? Yeah, like you said, it's so hard for me to judge. I. I would definitely agree with you that what makes Gordon a little bit different in terms of sensibility and and is I don't think that basketball, you know, just is, is like dominates his identity, his personality. You know, he's such a family man. He he wants to be home with four kids. And and I and I agree with you that most most professional athletes think of themselves as a professional athlete first and everything else in their lives second. And I don't think that's ever been Gordon's priority. And, and, and to, be all, to be honest, maybe this says something about where I am in life. I think it's a really healthy thing as opposed to some sort of shortcoming. So right now, the Hornets, with their surge, have moved themselves into the playoffs. It doesn't begin, obviously, now. But when we get to the end of the season – where do you see the Hornets stacking up in the Eastern Conference? You know, the Jazz don't need to worry about this because they're so good. But the way that the NBA dynamic has changed this season is that, 
you know, before you were worried about making sure that you were you were top eight. Now you really want to make sure that you don't fall from six to seven because seven through ten means you're you know you're you're in that sort of you know one off you know the playing you know thing before you get into the main draw um, of the playoffs. And I was thinking about this just last night um, in the East where things are so bunched up right now. Uh, the difference between the sixth best team in the East and the eleventh best team in the East may be very small, but in terms of, of stakes and consequences for the season, it's massive. Um, I'd be surprised if the Hornets at the end of the season were one of the top six teams in the East. I think that in all likelihood, um, they're gonna you know, they, they they're what they're gonna be shooting for is to be you know, one of those four teams that gets into a playoff situation for the right to um, to play in a seven-game first-round series, that by itself would be progress. Because one of the little things that is that this team needs to overcome is there's next to nobody on this team, you know, other than the people we've we've been talking about who were fired off other rosters. Other than Gordon and and Terry Rozier, there's next to nobody on this team with any real playoff experience. Those kids who are their future, um, them participating in the in the pressure situation that is the playoffs, is something they absolutely got to do, and that that needs to start sooner than later. So, when the Jazz played the Hornets a couple weeks ago, the Jazz went twenty six of fifty from the three point line. Uh, does the defensive strategy change? Does the execution change? Do they stay close to shooters, or do the Jazz get? 53 pointers, many of them very good looks. Because if they do, then we know how this game goes. Um, you know, there are four teams this season that are on track to give up more threes than anybody in any previous NBA um, season. And one of those is the Hornets. Um, some of this is intentional. Um, Borrego, who came from the Spurs organization where you know, very you know savvy veteran team. They were able to to you know to guard both the post and the and the three point line with a level of of, a, of you know competence. After two seasons here, JB made a made a conscious decision in the off season that he had to prioritize one over the other. And so they went into this season with a with a defensive approach that come hell or high water they were going to guard the post this season. And that doesn't mean that they're just ignoring the three-point line, but much in the same way that Eric Spolster is doing down in Miami, um, he's willing to give up some threes in order to make sure that they don't just, you know, give up 60 points in the paint. My point is there are four times this season already when they've given up 20 or more threes. If if the Jazz are making threes tonight, they're going to do it in volume because it's inevitable the way the Hornets guard. Rick, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for coming on and, and talking a little NBA basketball with us. Absolutely, guys. You guys have a great day. Rick Bunnell covers the Charlotte Hornets and the NBA for the Charlotte Observer. It's the way they defend. It's inevitable. So, saddle up at 7 o'clock and get ready to see some three-pointers, people. Okay. I'll do it. I thought you might. I thought there was a pretty good chance, actually. <laughs> 100%. I <laughs> know, right? What else would you be doing? Uh, Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider, is going to join us in about 20 minutes. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Now let's get this party started. 
This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Greg Rubel, voice of the Cougars. Always a pleasure to catch up with you, Greg. Thanks for your time and look forward to catch up with you again here very soon. Yeah, uh, where are you, by the way, uh, Scotty? Did you go to Boise last night or what was the deal there? Yeah, I am in Boise. When I left for practice last night, it was about a two-point game, maybe ten minutes to go up at Boise State. So Boise takes a, a bit of a lead in the race for the conference crown with that win last night, right? Was he dumping salt on the Snell a bit? or? Oh, I don't think so. Oh, okay. They lost last night, huh? So kind of relive that pain from last night. How did that go? I can't imagine there was any kind of salt being poured in the wound. <laughs> so Boise takes a, a bit of a lead in the race for the conference crown with that win last night, right? Okay, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Mark Miller Subaru. Question of the day. The Jazz lose to the Clippers. Clippers had their stars back. Kawhi Leonard, Paul George. So who among you is in the I told you so crowd? Darren says Jazz played a good game. Clippers were hot. They're 11-2 with that starting lineup. Nothing to be concerned with. Wouldn't you be concerned with that starting lineup being 11-2? Clippers' overall record isn't as good, but they've been missing Kawhi Leonard and Paul George for about a dozen games, and they're pretty mediocre without them. But when they have those guys, they're pretty good. Oh, for sure, yeah. They've got all sorts of talent. I mean, long, athletic, can shoot, got some ball hawkers defensively, got enough decent big men. That's not the strength of their team, but, you know, they're decent. In that way, they can play some ball for you. So they've got a lot of talent on that team. I think they're six and six when they're missing those those uh, those top two guys, uh, one or the other of them or both of them. So they're basically winning at the same clip as the Jazz, eighty percent when they have their guys. Now, will they have their guys in the playoffs? That remains to be seen. The playoffs can be a different beast, but. You split two games head-to-head when you're full strength, and you basically got the same record, so I think there's something to be worried about. Concerned with it. He used the word concerned, not worried, which would be a better way of putting it. You don't have to worry. You're not at a disadvantage, but you're not at a clear advantage either. You know, the Hornets game tonight, the Hornets are, they really are the middle of the league. And so the Jazz have separated themselves from the middle league. I would think most Jazz fans are very confident going into tonight's game. But the Clippers, the Lakers, and with the way the Nets sure. are going and the fact the Jazz already lost the Nets in Brooklyn, you know, those teams have also separated themselves from the middle of the league. I would think the concern with those teams would be much higher. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. Although on any given game, this is the yep. NBA and they've got players. Mm-hmm. And Charlotte does have three nice players at the top of their roster right now. And and so they're capable of winning any given game that they play. It's, if you're off and they're on, it can happen. You know, Obviously, they're not as good over the course, in this case, 72. We understand that. So I don't think tonight is a given, but at the same time, the Jazz should win. But it's not it just show up. It's way more than that. Uh, as far as the Clippers go, uh, I would be concerned, minimum, uh, it's not going to be a walk in the park. You play these guys. No one's sweeping the other guy. And I couldn't tell you who's going to win. I don't have to tell you right now who I think would win. It doesn't matter right now. It matters if it comes to pass at that point in the spring. And we'll see if and when that occurs at that time. But they're a team that you have to keep your eye on. 
I mean, Kawhi Leonard is a premier player. This is nothing new. This is all obvious here. Uh, so, in the Jazz, it's just, I've been fascinated, and normally I'm not like this in terms of, it's not that I care what Joe Blow or Mary Jane from whatever network, uh, wherever they're based, thinks. I don't really necessarily care or base my opinion on it. But at the same time, the Jazz, it's been a long time since they've gone 19-1 and all that stuff. So we didn't expect them to be that good. So I've been in a situation where I've been listening to NBA radio. I've been watching more of this stuff than I normally do because the Jazz are a topic. And I think I've seen a reluctance to make them at the level that they are. And obviously, if it would have been Brooklyn in this case or the Lakers or whomever, you know, from the bigger, more popular. And I understand they have to play the hits and appeal to the most uh, widest audience out there. And we're not the biggest, widest audience. So there has been that reluctance. And, you you know, we talk about you listen to PTI. If I hear about Bradley Beal one more time, I'm going to go crazy. (laughs) He's a nice player, but they suck. And so to the extent of... You're ignoring the jazz, so I have, and I've been here enough now that whether I like it or not, this community is a part of me, and so I want to hear what they say. And there has been that reluctance, so I think we're going to hear some stuff now. Oh yeah, well they had the big game and they lost. Is it fair? Not necessarily, but I don't want to hear about fairness. Childhood, child cancer is not fair. So I mean, come on, forget about fairness. I don't know that there's any such thing. It's a word but it has no applicable meaning because what's fair and what isn't fair. It's like the political situation. You're you're a hypocrite. No, you're a hypocrite. You just go back and forth with that until my eyes spin. I get sick of it. So I still think that they're going to look at, well, they had that opportunity and they couldn't get it done. So there's going to be a fair amount of people who said, see, I told you. Is it fair? No. But does it matter? No, in the same breath, too. It's all interesting for the discussion because that's really all we have because nothing can be settled in the NBA in the last week of February. Hmm. Nope, not a thing. Brad, however, takes that perspective and says, you know, we know the Jazz aren't going to win every game, but if the Jazz win roughly nine out of every ten games, I'm going to take that all season long. So is every team. Hard to argue with that, right, since nobody wins 90% of the games in the NBA? It would have been nice, though, if they would have answered the Clippers' full strength, answered the Clippers' emotional readiness for that game. It's like the Clippers had to win that game, really. Maybe the Jazz didn't have to. I mean, neither team had to when you boil it down. But it's like, well, you got your guys back, and they're rested, too. They haven't played in a bit. And they got the job done. As as I look at it from the Jazz' perspective, the rebounding situation – concerned me a little bit. They got out-rebounded. I didn't necessarily expect that. And the Donovan Mitchell thing is just an interesting, I don't know what you would call it, situation maybe. Trend. How he starts yeah. slow and then just turns it on to the level of, wow, man, he's a stud when he turns it on. What's going on there that can allow him maybe to have a better start? Uh, if you can combine the finish with a better start, <laughs> well, then well, he's you'd a have top a five player in the yeah. league. Yeah, then you have Steph Curry and LeBron, right? He had, uh, what do you have, 35 points, six at half, 29 in the second half. And obviously in this one game, the fouls were a factor because he had two pretty early. And 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 he said afterwards, and he basically changed the way he played to make sure he didn't get in foul trouble, wasn't as aggressive. So 
in this one game, you can say it, but it's like you say, this is a trend that isn't even a season-long trend. You know, this has been going on throughout his career. This happened last year. This happened two years ago. So how does he have a better first half so maybe they don't dig a 15-point hole to try to dig out of? Which isn't, you know, and they've done it against other teams, but it's going to be a little harder to do against one of the best teams in the league, as they found out with the Clippers. So Yeah, one of the things, the league needs to change this stupid foul thing. Come up with penalty shots if you hit, if you hit six fouls or what, but have to go to the bench. It's just absolutely ridiculous. I, I just don't understand it, why that doesn't change. Why should a, a player like Donovan Mitchell be saddled with foul trouble to the point they've got to take him out? If it's his normal rest rotation, that's one thing. But he can't play because he has two fouls. And either give him more fouls or don't have uh, disqualification as the penalty. Bring back three to make two. Remember that? And in the bonus, it'll be three to make two. Whatever. There's a number of things. Uh but I think he has a chance to go down as the most clutch jazz player ever. Now he's got to do it in the postseason. But that fourth quarter the other night was just absolutely brilliant. couple of those three-pointers he threw in late. Highly unlikely. And yet they went in anyway. Yeah. All right, DJ and PK coming back with Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider. Stay with us. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Davis Vision. Davis Vision's New Year's special continues through February. Save $1,000 off normal pricing now through the end of the month. Check them out now at davisvisionmd.com. Time to welcome in Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider. Steve, good morning. Good morning. So, Steve, the top of the West in the NBA is interesting. You know, you grew up in California. The team of your youth, the Lakers, you went to college at UC Irvine right down the road from the forum, and you could follow him. You coached in Utah. One of the star players that you coached at Fresno, Paul George, is with the Clippers. And now the Jazz play the Clippers with both teams at full strength. And so you have interesting takes on all these clubs. You see the Jazz and the Clippers play. Does this reset what you think about the West? How do you look at these three teams now? You know, uh, right now, you know, if we had to play for a championship, I think it would be either the Jazz or the Clippers just based upon what's happening. Obviously, Paul and Kawhi missed some games, but uh, I've watched them play their last couple of games. And uh, this is a big – I mean, you could say it's a big game for the Jazz, but I think it's actually a bigger game for the Clippers. I'm not exactly sure uh, what's going on. I don't know if you saw any of that Clippers game last night, but Paul must be on some kind of minutes restriction. Yeah, because he he goes for thirty six or thirty seven, and all of a sudden he doesn't play the last three or four minutes when they have a chance to win the game. And I'm thinking, certainly, minutes restrictions. You can figure it out where someone could actually be in the game at the end. I I, I, I could not understand that. Maybe there's something I don't get. But uh, this is a big game for the Clippers. I'm not, something that they can prove that you know way together they should be pretty healthy. Um, but the Jazz obviously uh, play well. They play well pretty much whether they're at home or on the road for the most part. And, they, you know, they just uh, played each other a little bit ago. So, I don't know. I, I, I think the Clippers have more to prove. and uh, But certainly they have great talent. And, uh, you know, they've got to be better defensively than they've been. They, they just do silly things. So, I know watching the game the other night or last night, I watched the last part of it. Felt like the Clippers had plenty of opportunities to win, but uh, the Nets prevailed. Yeah, I think that was obvious there. That was a fun game to watch on Friday. It had yeah. a little bit of a uh, 
a playoff atmosphere, and the Clippers clearly were jacked for that game, knowing that it's a national television game. Their guys have been out, and the Jazz had won 21 out of 22, whatever it was, and so they're the team that's getting a lot of the attention. So I, I appreciated the playoff intensity. One of the things that was interesting in that game was that Conley comes back after missing six games, right? Jazz go 6-0, and obviously, during that time. And I was looking at Joe Ingles. In half of those games, he scored at least 20 points. He scored 20 points, I think, four times this season. So three of them came when Conley was out. One came when Mitchell was out earlier in the season against the Mavericks. So when he moves in the starting lineup, Statistically, his production goes up. He's one of these guys that you can't just strictly judge his contribution by a box score. But when Conley comes back the other night, he goes one of four. Is it near the factor? What can Quinn Snyder do? It's just one game, so I don't want to go crazy either. But what can he do to increase Joe's productivity? Because obviously the talent is there. Well, I, I think Joe has really played well. And I think, I mean, I think those are converse, private conversations that you have, first of all, with, you know, with Joe and, and you talk about what his role is and he can't, I think there's a tendency to defer to, you know, leading scorers, guy, you know, systems are set up to get certain guys, certain shots, certain places. And when you come in and fill in for a guy that's been playing significant minutes, you just assume automatically, you know, mentally, emotionally, every which way. Hey, these are my minutes, and I'm going to get those shots. And and then when he comes back, you take a more of a secondary role. And I I think you have to be careful about that because Joe is a guy that really, when he gets it going, he's just so cerebral as he plays, but he can really shoot it. And so I think they have to have that conversation. I think they probably, if they haven't already, you know, just to watch a film like that. So let's see where how aggressive you really were here. I mean, that was a shot you should have taken. You know what what's going on here and. So sometimes players do get – and Joe's a seasoned veteran. I mean, he's a guy that knows how to play the game, understands the game. But it is true that – and it's not just with the Jazz. You see it all the time where guys have opportunities. There's just virtually – you just get locked in and know, hey, this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm taking this open shot. It's mine. And, uh, and, and you play with a different mindset. So I think it's a bit more about the mindset than it is about his physical attributes, as you mentioned. I mean, he's been playing really well. Uh, but he's got he's to get his looks, take his shots, because when he is shooting well, that team is way different. And I don't think they give a whole lot up when anytime Joe Ingles plays, but he's not as athletic as some guys, and you know, he's not going to – there's some guys who have maybe a more difficult time guarding. But when he's on the floor, they're, they're just such a cerebral group, and they just – it's always one more pass. And uh, I – they're all veterans enough to know that, hey, one more comes to you and you've got your feet squared ready. You have to shoot the ball. And that you have to, I just say it's a mindset thing that coaches can talk with players and, uh, and players can talk with players. You know, and I mean, I think there's a situation where, I mean, I, I don't know who the leaders are in that locker room. I would think Joe would be one of them. Uh, but Donovan Mitchell certainly has a, is a voice. You know, he, Donovan Mitchell, he, for me, I would probably call Donovan Mitchell and say, hey, talk to your boy here. He's, he's got to take shots. Uh, you know, he can't – he's got to know that we trust him and that we have confidence in him. So I think you work the angle a little bit through coaches, through players, and, and then you move on. But you make, the message is clear that you've, you've got to be involved in this offense for us because there's going to be injuries. There's going to be things happen. 
and you got to be prepared for all the things, especially this year. Oh my goodness! Every every week, every game, there's somebody missing for some particular reason, and so uh, the Jazz have been able to stay at the top of this thing because they've got the, they've had the best continuity of guys playing. That yes, Conley missed five or six games, but guys stepped up and filled in, and uh, so <clears throat> that's just part of that culture there. And I think this. I agree with you. I think they're converse. You got to at least have a conversation and talk about those things and then move on. So every, every game, right, the teams bring the, the star power, the celebrity, the names on the jersey, the recent history of the clubs. But if you strip that all away, and coaches like to do that and say, it's just basketball, but the Lakers, the Clippers, and the Nets play in L.A. and New York in the biggest markets. And they've got super teams in some form that were a combination of free agency and leverage trades that bring together all-stars and Hall of Famers. And the Jazz are built through the draft, some trades, and I guess one major free agent signing. So it's a different deal. Have you seen enough now, especially recently here with the Nets playing the Clippers and the Jazz playing the Clippers, to say the Jazz are on the same level as these three other teams with their star power and celebrity and all that stuff. Are you confident in that in a seven-game series with the Jazz against any of these or all of these clubs? I mean, I think, when I look at the Jazz, and the more you watch them play, the more you realize you know how connected they are as as a team, offensively and defensively. And I, and I think I've said this before. Is I, I think with the Jazz, you do have some great players on that team. But it's more for me. It's it's the sum of the parts are, are greater than individuals. And every game Donovan Mitchell plays, he gets better. You know, you, you Conley comes back and he makes contributions. And and Bogdanovich, you know, I mean Bogdanovich will, you know, last week he had a couple of games where you know he's at eleven, he's at five, and then boom, he's at twenty three. And and I'm not, I haven't watched all of these games because sometimes there's circumstances and things that impact this, but. I, I do believe that my, my gut, in my gut, it tells me the Jazz have the capacity and the capability to win a seven-game series. I think there's less margin for error for them than there is maybe for the Lakers' full strength and the Clippers' full strength. I, I'll be honest with you. I think the Lakers are really vulnerable. Uh, I, I think Caruso, who played really good last year, is really struggled. Kuzma, uh, he, he's very capable, but makes me really nervous defensively and just as hot and cold, and uh, you know, and I and, I'm, and Schroeder obviously has been down a little bit. And Anthony, you know, for me, Anthony Davis, when the Lakers were the best in the bubble, Anthony Davis was playing the five. And and I think in that situation, he, you know, you they had to go out, you know, it opens the floor because he can shoot it. But when he's inside, and he can do his work, and they can surround him with shooters, I like that version of the Lakers. So uh, you know, right now. The, all three of those teams are awfully good. You know, you can nitpick a lot of things, but I, when I watch that game, the, the Clippers against the Nets, uh, you know, Paul is, is, is has really played well this year, and he, and obviously he's been he's been out. But with Paul and Kawhi uh, playing at that level, then Nicholas Batum didn't play either. I don't think for a couple of games, but I I think the Clippers and the Jazz right now are the two best teams in the West, and uh, I just I just don't trust. I just don't think. LeBron by himself can beat either one of those teams. Uh, but if, if you're talking about seven-game series in the playoffs, Jazz have never been more prepared, but there is still kind of a question mark. 
there was a question mark like, can they beat them in seven games? And can McDonavich play well in four or five games where he's got to have 20? And can Joe Ingles be in a situation where he's scoring 15 to 17 a game coming off the bench or starting, whatever the circumstances are? You know, and occasionally Gobert will disappear, you know, depending on matchups and situations. So, yeah, I, 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 I do have questions whether they can actually finish that right now. And we, I, I need, we need more games to watch. And, uh, and the thing about it, it we, it's kind of like fool's goal to me. A lot of this with the protocol issues, with uh, no home court advantage, uh, with injuries, it's really hard the first third of the season to get a sense in the field for what you really trust when you watch it play. And uh, I love, I've watched the Jazz enough to know that they are going to be in every game. They're, they're, not, they're just too well coached and too disciplined and, and too talented right now to go places and just get beat unless they, it's, a, you know, it's a back-to-back and, and uh, they're traveling across the country or something. I don't, I don't have that same confidence in the Clippers and the Lakers when they go through those things. So I, I think a little bit of the maturity of the Jazz is, is a significant role in their journey to, to get to the NBA Finals. But I still, there's something about the Clippers and the Lakers where they can do things on their own with or without an offense and just jump up and make shots. Brooklyn Nets especially. My goodness. Uh, it, it's, it's incredible. I mean, we really haven't seen them all play together for a period of time. Uh, but, the, but the Nets are really scary offensively. I mean, it, it's, you watch me just go, whoa. And, and then all of a sudden when the, the fourth and fifth guys come in and start making baskets, uh, I know defense wins championships, but the Nets might be able to put up 150 a night in the series. So we'll have to see. But I'm, I'm higher on the Jazz and the Clippers right now than I am the Lakers. Uh, and, and even when Anthony Davis comes back, I feel like they can either put him in a role where he can, in fact, play, score inside and score outside and not play two bigs together. Uh, I, I think it's just better when you have four shooters and you have a big that's so versatile like that. So speaking of those next, Steve, that's exactly where I was going. You know, they've been playing well, and Duran has been out. How much sacrifice is going to be required by their three big stars in order to make this thing work? I will tell you this. It's the most impressive basketball I've ever seen James Harden play. And I've watched him score 60 points in games and do crazy things. But he seems to have the, the innate ability to understand where he's at and what's going on. And if KD's not on the floor, certainly he understands that. But he def- he'll defer to KD. And, you know, Kyrie is going to do what Kyrie does. And, and when it's going, it's, it's unstoppable. But I, I think that I, I think the question mark for a lot of people was, how does James Harden come in here and fit? And I think he fits really, really well. Uh, I think he understands his role. Uh, he knows that uh, if there's just two of them on the floor, that he's got full license to go and create. When KD's there, he realizes how important KD is going to be. And you just watch James Harden play on a different team like this where he has opportunities and then he defers and passes. I mean, he looks, that's, I think that's the one thing as a fan. People go, you know, he's just jacking up 40 shots every game. You know, he's got the ball in his hand 80% of the time. But he, I mean, certainly he's going to have the ball in his hands, but he's a different player right now, I think. And 
and I, they're, they're, they seem to be getting more comfortable. I, is KD coming back soon? I haven't heard. I didn't see any medical reports or anything, but uh, it's going to be fun to watch this team play a composite of 10 games together and see what that looks like because we really don't know what the Nets look like. And, uh, and, and Kyrie's ability to just create shots and make shots. But, but that, makes me, that, that part of Kyrie's game makes me nervous because when that's not going, does he know when to turn it off and defer and look to other guys as well? And uh, if they figure that out, they are going to be really good. And, and uh, there'll be less talks about uh, how weak they are defensively and more talks like, hey, this may be the greatest offensive team that you know, this may match the, the Warriors type team where everybody could score and, uh, and do it in a lot of different ways. So, yeah, I, I, th- I think James Harden has come in and made that transition smooth. He seems to have a good attitude, and uh, they're they're pretty locked in. Well, Steve, as always, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for joining us, and we will talk to you again next week. We'll have a Jazz-Laker game in the books by then. Yeah, so. that's, that's, that's going to be fun to see. Yep. All right, guys, have a great week. Thanks. All right, thanks, Steve. All right, Jazz and Lakers coming up Wednesday night. There's Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider. DJ and PK, we get more of you weighing in on the Jazz loss to the Clippers and what, if anything, it means, and we will get to that next. Stay with us. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. The Jazz are becoming that showpiece. The Jazz are becoming the party. Everybody barbecues a bunch of stuff and gets together for the Super Bowl, and it's a lot of fun because it's the show. That's what the Jazz are becoming. It's an event now. It's an event. Must watch TV. They play a style of basketball that not only is winning a lot of games for them right now, but, you know, the old pick-and-roll, boring Jazz teams that won a lot of games, but some people across the country, it's just boring basketball. This is not boring basketball. Yeah, back to the basket, dribble the clock out, take the yeah. shot. That's not. That is not this team. I mean, cranking forty to forty-five threes a game—that's going to get people's attention really quickly. Hanson Scotting weekdays from ten to two on 1280 the Zone in the Zone Sports Network. The offensive second chance points tonight. Kawhi mid block right, ball fakes. Jabs with his right foot, now comes back to his left hand, working inside, Gobert hovering, Kawhi fires and scores. Kawhi Leonard with 18. DJ PK, the Utah Jazz are getting ready to play Charlotte tonight. A lot of you still thinking about that Clipper game Friday night, and we got a question up here on Facebook. The nearly full-strength Clippers beat the Jazz Who's among the I told you so crowd? Just waiting for him to lose a game. The wins prove nothing, PK. Only the losses define you. <laughs> Not true, but yeah. <laughs> sure, but it depends on your point of view and the argument you want to make. Well, I'm going to listen to NBA radio all day today. I'm going to watch the jump. I'm going to try to consume as much as I can. And the first person who says, aha, see, I am going to go nuts. <laughs> You know, for anyone else, I'd think that's radio shtick. But with you, I'm not ruling it out. (laughs) Tweet out the name of the first ex-player who goes, See? They can't handle the Clippers. I'm telling you, if if Antonio Daniels pops off at all. That that would be too much to hope for. I'm really rooting (laughs) for that. That's what I want. That's what I crave. And have people take it seriously. (laughs) It's all you, just you can talk. take it. You can take it seriously. Exactly. You got to take it for what it is. 
Why does one ex-player's opinion matter more than the other? The ex-players don't even agree. No matter who you are, you try to pick games against you try to pick games. Don't even worry about the spread. Just pick straight up winners. And, you know, in football season, people can't get over 70%. In basketball, maybe you can do a little better because, you know, you find the teams that are winning 80% of the time. You just pick them every time. <laughs> you just, just keep writing down nets now. It looks like they're going to win nonstop. But even so, you're going to miss some. So what does it matter? Oh, for sure. Who's healthy when you get to the playoffs? But I, I do think there's an inherent bias. And of course there is. That's the, what I'm The Jazz at. have to yeah. prove more than Brooklyn has to prove. Yes. And some of that's legit, and some of that isn't legit. I mean, the fact is there are more accomplished players on other teams, and so they don't have as much to prove because they've done it before. You know, there's a player who's won a championship. Actually, there's a player who's won at least two championships on the Nets, on the Clippers, and on the Lakers. So obviously those players have less to prove. They've been to the mountaintop. Now, also, there's the hype around big market teams, and that's kind of fraudulent because you're either good or you're not, and whether the ball goes in doesn't necessarily have anything to do with you know, what city and market you play in and how many people live within you know, 50 miles of the arena. I mean, New York and L.A. teams are going to get more hype. There's more people in New York and L.A. It's 30 miles. That's where TMZ made its living, the 30-mile 30 30 mile zone. zone. 30 miles zone. Give it up to TMZ. <laughs> so even though they're well, well beyond the 30-mile zone, that, that proved to be a little limiting after a while. Helped to find them early, but it's limiting after a while. I think that you look at this game, and one of the positive signs for the Jazz, as far as I believe, is Morse for the Clippers. He goes 7-11, and scores 17. You're not going to do that very often. He's not that kind of player. And so they barely beat you. Uh, Lou Williams, he's dangerous. Streaky, but dangerous. Mm-hmm. We all agree on that. Yep. And he goes 8-14, scores 19. So they get almost uh, 40 points out of those two dudes. They'll take that every time. I don't know how many times they're going to get that. I would suspect that Lou Williams would be more capable of being more consistent than Morris. So from that perspective, you know, I look at it, and I am totally fine with that defeat. Because also, too, you had Beverly uh, 17. And he's probably not going to do that. Now the flip side is, well, well, Paul George first coming back, you know, hadn't played for a bit. And he only had 15, and that's somewhat pedestrian, and I, and I agree with that. Uh, Kawhi Leonard was was very, very good. And so that's what you're going to need, whether it's the Clippers or the Lakers, and I'm not going to worry about the Nets because they're over on the other side of the conference. And if they, I, I very much hope the Jazz get to play the Nets in the playoffs because obviously that means they're in the finals, and that's great news for you and me. And so <laughs> I like great news for you and me. And so that would be awesome if that came to pass. So no sense worrying about that for now. Uh, it's more the talk is about the Western Conference because you got to get out of there. And it's abundantly clear to me now as these teams are approaching the 30-game mark. So we're just a, you know, a, basically another week or so away from the halfway point of this truncated season. And it's abundantly clear to me that for the Lakers and Clippers to beat the Jazz – their stars have to be really good. And I wonder for the Jazz, 
do their stars have to be really good in order for them to beat those two teams or anybody for them? And Phoenix, Phoenix is on a run. I mean, they're they're. I watched. Uh, they had the NBA for whatever reason. It was free TV on my direct, so I watched two uh, ball games of the Suns the other night because I haven't seen them play that much. And uh, I think it was a. Uh, Saturday, I watched uh, who they they just destroyed Memphis. So they could potentially be dangerous too in the postseason. We'll see. Uh, but it looks to me like the Jazz can win ball games without their top studs really, really going off. They have enough diversified talent. Maybe I'm off on that, but I sort of see that to the level of that they can be competitive and win with these other two teams and your top guys. It's a requirement that they score a whole bunch of points. Yes, that's true. But your tone when you say it makes it seem like that's a weakness. And you've watched enough NBA finals and conference finals to know that most of them are won because star players do go off. Okay, I understand that. But what would you what would you rather have? Would you rather have the ultimate stars where they must perform at a high level all seven games or all four? because you don't have to perform all seven. You just have to perform at all four, right? Or would you rather go into it knowing that, all right, I've got – I don't necessarily need my to play their absolute best because i got three or four other guys who could step up at a high level. Knowing that, when you say that, DJ, we're going back 30 years, say. But I think the game has changed to the point yes. now with the three-point shot yes. that it could take a player who maybe doesn't have overwhelming skill, but he can make that three. So it's yep. elevated his importance and his impact on the game than it used to be. Can I introduce Duncan Robinson from Miami Heat? Duncan Robinson. I used to guy for years I thought the guy's name was Robinson Duncan. So not to get distracted by one random Heat player who's been named after NBA stars. Same thing with Gideon George. I always thought it was George Gideon for BYU all this time. I regret injecting that name into the conversation. Thanks for derailing this, Yak. I will strike that from the record. Jim Otto was an offensive lineman, I think, for the Raiders for years. Uh, I thought it was Otto Jim. You did not. <laughs> but after Otto Graham and you being an old-time football fan and your dad telling you all about him. All right. I think that the the uh, the original point back there was Gabriel Roman. Stop! Stop! <laughs> the game ahead, has changed. James David. <laughs> the game. And don't think I wasn't called that by a substitute teacher. And then the whole room laughs like you're laughing right now. It would be Jimmy D. That would have been your name. Jimmy D. <laughs> James D. <laughs> Free association, Yak. Go ahead. Come on. Make your point. To your point that the game has changed. And so for Jazz fans who are saying, I ah, remember the 90s and Jordan was the ultimate star. Now we're going to run into LeBron, the ultimate star. Like That could be it. But the game was changing 20 years ago. And that's why, you know, big shot Bob, Robert Ory, could come in and hit these threes. He wasn't a star on the level of Shaq and Kobe and Lajuan, But the three was becoming more important. 
and he could hit them. He could hit a lot of them, and he could hit them but, at the biggest time in games. So that's one guy, and the game's morphed. So now, what if you had three or four big shot bobs? You couldn't bag them because there weren't that many of them. And the Jazz and now do. There are right. So and really, big shot Bob is nothing without Kobe Shaq. Right. He's not going to do it by himself. So what it comes down to then is erase the decades of NBA history that are easy to recall and all the stars that are easy to recall and just go to the last five to seven years. And I guess this depends on how you define, well, because of who I'm about to bring up, it depends on how you define Steph Curry. Is he a legitimate star on the level of LeBron or is he a guy with an excellent skill set shooting threes off the dribble from all over the court and five to ten feet behind the line, easy, maybe more than that at times. Because if you can hit a lot of threes, and he can, and he was surrounded by players who could, and so they won titles. And even if you want to set this two with Durant aside, they won the one before Durant. So that's the closest thing to the Jazz model that ends well. But on the other side, you got LeBron, who's got four titles in the last decade and five other appearances in the finals. So do you want to have the, the biggest star and the best player in the game? Well, yeah, you win four titles and you go to the finals five other times. Now, the problem is he's living in Miami, he's living in Cleveland, he's living in L.A., so no one team gets all of that. But if you were one team that could get all of that, absolutely you would want that. You would still take the star over the Warriors model. But if you don't have access to the star, and LeBron's not coming to Salt Lake anymore and he's going to Indiana or Denver or Portland, so then you got to put this model together, and the Jazz have. But that star-driven thing you're talking about, where the one or two best players have got to be on, you got two teams in L.A. and one in New York who are doing it. And Harden leverages his way to New York, and A.D. then tampering leverages his way to L.A., and you got free agents signing with... LeBron and Durant, and you got Kawhi who says, I'll sign with you clips if you go get Paul George. That was the most legit trade of them all. So, yeah, if you could do that, you would do that. But the Jazz can't do that because those guys were beating down the doors to get to the two biggest markets in the country. Okay, but how do we know that they need to do that? Because we don't know that they need to do that. That's the thing, is that we're, even by you saying that, Yep. You're not giving them enough credit, so you really don't believe in them. Are the Warriors a one-off because there's no other Steph Curry, and so you can't replicate it because you can't get a Steph? Or are the Jazz replicating what the Warriors are doing, and this can be done? I believe they can. And they can shoot the three. I believe they can. Because remember what we remember? This was a big deal on our show a long time ago, and Mark Jackson said it's the best shooting backcourt ever. They're like, Fine. man, I hate it when people say it like that. It, you know, they could be really I'm good me, and not be that. And guess what? That. Yeah, right. Well, you and I do, but that's different. You know what I meant when I said it. And, and the truth is, he has now been proven right. They are unbelievable shooting the ball. But then here come the Jazz, who are leading the league in three-point attempts, leading the league in three-point makes, who are uh, fourth in three-point percent. That changes all the time. I'd have to look up and make sure they're fourth it's right fine. now. It's fine. Yeah, but Doesn't they've been matter. third or fourth, whatever. You're top five. So can they replicate what the Warriors did? Yes. Because their playoff path, they're probably going to have to face at least two, at least one, but probably two, possibly all three of these teams. And those teams to are going to have to face the Jazz. Right. That's the way I look at it. I don't look at we have to face them. They're going to have to face us. That's the way you need to look at it. Tony Finau needs to stand over that putt in the first extra hole and say, this bleep and bleeper is going in. 
and that's then it the goes in. Get, that's the way you got to look at it, man. You have to look at it like that. And if you have any doubt, it's not going in. And it's the same thing, shooting and putting. Practically the same thing. Well, it's when about it comes to the when it comes, physical and yeah, mental, especially when it comes to free throws, maybe a little less so. Still, some similarities with a three pointer and the flow of a game, but the free throw line is absolutely a putt. It's a rare yeah. rare time in sports where there is no defense. It's just you. There Until it is. Until he finds a way to get to that point where this, you know, what is going down. You can have all the top five finishes in the world you want. And he'll, I believe he'll find a way, too, speaking of Tony. And for the Jazz, they've got to feel you're playing us as much as we're playing you. Mitchell feels that way. Are you kidding me, man? He feels that way. He's a legitimate superstar. He's a legitimate superstar right now. And, yes, he has a world of physical skill, but it's from the neck up with him. I say this. Let's give him, say, 10 more years. Maybe he can play more than that because he's only 24, but just go 10. Or whenever, whenever the time is that he's done, he has the opportunity to be the most clutch jazz player of all time because he's got the heart and combined with the skill. Well, Jazz fans wouldn't mind seeing that because I think we could get some unity in the community on who the number one tough clutch player is, and everybody immediately thinks of one play and one shot. Well, Stockton, yeah. Right, yeah. It's, it's, and, the, and the yeah. shot in Houston because sent, he sent had, everyone he into delirium. That, and then you had Malone had his failures yeah. in those situations. So we're well aware they're the two best players and one. And send 10,000 people to the airport and into delirium. Yeah. Top that Donovan. Oh, <laughs> there's only, there's only one the, way to he, top it. <laughs> he has the ability to top it. And the thing about it here is he's going to take way more than John ever took. Yes. Partly because of yes. who they I are. Yes, like said that. Yeah, right. Well, partly because Cut of, that up, Yach. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> partly because of who they are. Good drop. Partly because of who they are and partly because of how the game is played. And those two things make it inevitable. That's what's going to be fascinating about this season. Can a collection of talent overcome uh, a top-heavy level of talent? Multiple times. <laughs> Not just once. <laughs> well, you got to do it four times. Yes, uh, but you may not have to do it in the first two series, depending on who you match up with. Well, yeah, but I, okay, if you, if you have to do it twice, then you got to do it eight times. Yes. Talking about the each Oh, yeah, series, series or games. I see. Yeah, we were miscommunicating there. You're right. Yes, you're going to have to do it uh, at least four and probably eight times and possibly 12. Great. I hope they have to do it 12. <laughs> and I hope right? they do do it 12. The biggest test and the most interesting. And then if you win them. <laughs> oh, yeah, that game Friday night, I was jacked for it. I was disappointed it was on a Friday. They wouldn't even show the next day. There were a gazillion things to talk about. Uh, yeah, but it, it's sh- still the good thing is that they didn't play since right, then. Right, right. Well, I think there's one thing, and actually it comes with the Hornets tonight. I, there is a comparison to make, and I know the teams have wildly different records and wildly different level of talents, but it's about the Jazz and what they can control, and Quinn Snyder's been preaching this, and it'd be really interesting to see what he's telling a team you know, in a Sunday practice or uh, in a shoot-around today. We'll get to that next. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone.
The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. A woman was in the back country of Alaska and walked to the outhouse, sat down, and suddenly felt a bite on her butt. She screamed, looked down, and guess what was in there? A bear. A bear! In, in, in. That's kind of gross. You were entertaining this notion of traveling the country. But see, it's stories like this why I don't think you'd like it. Like outhouses to begin with. <laughs> I just don't think somebody used to the lifestyle that you're used to would function very well with outhouses and what is in said outhouse. I'll tell you one thing. <laughs> if a bear bit me in the butt, that would scare the crap right out of me. Uh. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O' Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Mountain Chevy dealer's strong play of the weekend. Gordon Hayward will inbound. Gives to Rozier. 34 points today. He'll hold for the final shot. Clock down to 4 seconds. Rozier crosses over to his left. Around his screen, fade away three at the buzzer. Got it! Got it! Terry Rozier beats the buzzer, and the Hornets have won on a walk-off three by Terry Rozier. Oh, you got to be kidding me. PK, that is the Chevy Strong play of the game. Know it today at 450, and you can win fabulous prizes on the big show. And that capped an unbelievable final three minutes for Terry Rozier. 11 points, three threes. Scary Terry. The first three was this difficult step-back corner three, and he made that. The second one, I thought he got fouled on. And that was, but they didn't call it, but it looked like he got knocked down to me. But anyway, then he gets to shoot the two free throws after Draymond has the tee and gets ejected. And then they inbound the ball to him, and he wins the game. That's like you're in your driveway and you're seven years old and you just dream stuff up, and yet he actually pulled it off in an NBA game. Sensational. Wow. Man, you had a driveway and you were seven? Yep. I actually think I was eight when the hoop went up in the driveway. Whatever. I don't know, seven, eight, something like that. And I wonder why you're a sharpshooter who played varsity <laughs> basketball. There's something to that, actually. Oh, yeah. Jimmy D out draining threes. <laughs> Jimmy D. <laughs> James D. <laughs> All right, the question of the day, and we've got a response to it. Sit back, take a deep breath, raise your hands above your head in victory, PK. The question of the day is uh, with the Clippers beating the Jazz and the Clippers getting their stars back. And they beat the Jazz. So how many of you are in the uh, I told you so crowd? And Josh listened to our discussion last segment and just tweeted at us, PK just nailed it. Victory PK, arms above the head. Give me the Rocky pose. I'll probably have to lower them. They're mostly in that pose. PK just nailed it. The Jazz are the team other teams have to worry about. Yeah. And then he adds, no way the Clippers or Lakers can beat Utah in seven games. I don't believe you said that. You may have implied it, but you didn't, didn't say, say that. It. You what? I, I, don't, I, didn't, I didn't say it or imply it. And I don't think you believe it. There believe is a way. What? There is a way the Clippers Oh, or no Lakers. way. Okay, you're emphasizing no, no way. way. Okay, okay, oh, come okay, on. okay. Come on, there's right. a way. 
If your emphasis is on no way, then, yeah, I agree with what you're saying there. Certainly they can, either of those ball clubs, they can win an NBA title. So if you can win the ship, obviously you can beat any team along the way, and I believe that. Uh, but I just think that from the Jazz perspective, it's time that they stop thinking of themselves as somewhat of an underdog of this nice story. We're beyond it's a nice story. We're beyond anything that doesn't include the supreme utmost confidence because in order to win the ship, you have to have that. You have to have the supreme confidence that we can and we will. And until you get that, you're not going to be able to do it, nor will you do it. You have to have that. Even if you haven't done it yet, you still have to believe without, without a shadow of a doubt or beyond a shadow of a doubt, whatever that expression is, that you can and will do it. It has to be that way. And if you don't do it, then you adjust accordingly. But going into it, you must believe that you look at all these great, all the great ones and the greatness that we've seen and just stick with the NBA. They all, all have that common denominator. I'm the biggest, baddest BA out there. <laughs> and I'm we, getting it we done. We have the best team. We have the best team. Who's going to kind of sheepishly win a title? Nobody. <laughs> you and I have argued about a lot of stuff a lot of times over the history of this show, but we're not going to argue about this at all. If there are two teams that go out there, you can throw the Jazz, the Clippers, the Lakers, the Nets, whoever else you want in there. And if one of them flinches for a minute and thinks, I really want to win this, while the other team is thinking, we are absolutely going to win this, the team that is thinking we are absolutely going to win this is going to beat the team that says, we want to win this. The, the expectations matter 100%. And I think it's much more likely that out of these four teams, at least two of them, and maybe more, but at least two of them are going to go into this postseason healthy enough and on enough of a roll, they are going to think, we are absolutely doing this. And, of course, one of them will have to be wrong. But that doesn't mean they won't go in there thinking that and believing it to their core. And they may end up being wrong. But you're not going to backdoor it. There's no chance you're going to go in there, I really hope we get this done, and then do it. I once had a premier college player in our community who played in the NBA, and I will never reveal his name and nor the situation, and he told me uh, going into the tournament, he said about one of his teammates, the guy tenses up, he looks at the opposition in the layup line, and he thinks, how are we going to do this? And we can all relate to that if we played any level of high school sports. At I some to, point, we got intimidated by somebody who was oh, better yeah. than us. Yeah. I would, we'd be taking infield at the high school level, and I'd be looking down the right field line to the starting pitcher thinking, there's no way I'm going to hit that guy. <laughs> and sure enough, man, I was beaten yeah. before I even stepped out on the field. Now, you know, uh, to me, I, I didn't turn 17 until – December of my senior year. You were so playing I was up waiting. a year in, in the was, common I, lingo. I was. Yeah. I was. So when I graduated high school, I weighed 140 pounds. The following Christmas, so I had a semester of college done before I turned 18. The following, at that point, in that Christmas, I weighed 170. I gained 30 pounds from June to December. I had my growth spurt after it was too late. <laughs> 
and and so I was mentally beaten. And I think if you're mentally beaten, you're not going to overcome. And that's a problem. These guys, they must believe. Now, you look at the Lakers. I think that because they have LeBron, if I'm Kuzma, I'm thinking, hey, we're going to win. Why? Because we have LeBron. LeBron. (laughs) I may not believe it in myself to the level that I need. I don't know that he does or doesn't. I'm just using him because he was a local player as an example. But he believes, well, we've got LeBron. So we're good to go. And Anthony Davis is, well, I'm really good. Plus, I got LeBron. So I'm going to win it. Sure enough, they win it in their first year together. There's really no reason why the Jazz don't go into any particular game and or series when we get to that point thinking, we're going to win this. We've got, it, depending on who you are, if you're Mike Conley, well, we've got Rudy, we've got Donovan, we've got shooters, including myself. We've got a great guy over here on the sideline directing the show and Coach Snyder. They have to believe that. And that gets to the point. And the Clippers would be interesting. It's an interesting situation for me because I wonder what does Paul George really think. And going back to that story that I just said, the guy told me, he played in the NBA, he told me, player X, and I don't want to name his name, doesn't believe he's intimidated by the guys and he doesn't believe in his heart that we can do it and it frustrates me and this player that i was speaking of he believed it to the point where he played in the highest level and i think you have to have that and that guy was a big time baller obviously if you play in the nba and from the college perspective you're a big time baller he's usually that's the way it works and so he believed it but he felt like some of his teammates particularly the one guy didn't believe it and it bothered him the Jazz shouldn't be in that spot. They should believe, absolutely, we can get this done. You know, I think uh, when you mention the college and that attitude, the guy I always think of is Mike Doliak. Because back in the era when players still came into studios and did Sunday night shows, he came in to do a talk in sports, and it was his senior year, and they'd gone to the Elite Eight with Van Horn, and Van Horn had gone off to the NBA, and he was talking in the lead-up, and this is before they get to the conference tournament, let alone the NCAAs, about the goals of the Final Four, and he, because the goal is always to go one step further than you went the year before. You always have to be improving. You have to do better, and that they had the team to do it. And I can remember looking and thinking, it's awesome that you have that confidence, but you just lost Keith Van Horn. And maybe you'll get a better draw and you won't get Kentucky, but still, holy cow. But he 100% believed that. There was no BS. Now, I may have thought he was misguided, but he was telling me the truth. He thought they were going to do that, and then sure enough, they pulled it off. And they would have never done it if he hadn't believed it and had the rest of the team believe in it because he well, was a team leader. Too bad he didn't say they were going to win the ship. <laughs> I know, I know. Although that isn't what I what I asked. that was off the an off air conversation. I mean, I think he did repeat it later on the air. Uh, but what I remember is him standing. He was so tall, standing in front of those TVs in our old office. And uh, yeah, yeah, Final Four. All right, DJ and PK. It's ninety seven five at twelve eighty. The zone. We got more feedback coming up. Uh, one jazz fan saw the Friday game and didn't worry so much about the Friday game. He wondered how it was going to make things evolve going forward. He brings up an interesting point. So Jeff will drive the discussion next. He is definitely going to make Jazz fans think. He is definitely going to make them think with his take. We will get to that next. Stay with us.
JPK brought to you in part by Davis Vision. Davis Vision's New Year special continues through February. Save $1,000 off normal pricing now through the end of the month. Check them out now at davisvisionmd.com. All right, we've got, uh, we've got two listeners who've weighed in here with interesting points, and one is specifically for you, PK, because you are a man of the people. True. Uh, and again, you know, it's Joe Ingles' production, starting lineup of the bench. It's night and day, right? Uh, give, give us a stat on the 20-point games you shared earlier. I think he's had four this season. Three just came in the six games in which Mike Conley was out, and I think the fourth one was one of those Dallas games that Donovan Mitch uh, missed. Remember that? Uh, I think it was a two-game homestand against the Mavs. The Jazz won both of them. So I think that I looked at it last night and in, in just doing some preparing for the show and what to talk about. And I don't have it in front of me right now, but if my memory serves correct, which I believe it's true, that it was four games in which he scored 20, and interestingly, all four in which he started because either Conley or Mitchell were out. So Jerry uh, says this. He says, casual jazz observer. Seems like Joe's scoring happens when playing with Donovan, but not Clarkson. When Clarkson is in, even Donovan defers the offense to him. Starting gave the opportunity for Joe getting shots, especially early in the game, because Donovan's scoring seems second-half heavy. I didn't notice him passing on shots Friday. Again, casual jazz observer here. You know, off the top of my head, that, that made a lot of sense to me, that there's, when Joe goes into the starting lineup, there's three things that could happen that could come together to get him more shots in these 20-point games. Okay, one... Uh, he starts and it changes his mojo and the way he approaches the game and all that, right? Okay, so there's one, the impact it has on Joe. Two, well, obviously Conley's out, so there's more shots to be had. So that's another thing. And three, you have more minutes not on the floor with Clarkson, and when Clarkson is in, he gets the ball and he goes to the hoop, or he gets the ball and he takes the three, and so you become much more the observer and more passive because everybody's watching Clarkson go to work. And for the minutes he's in... He drives things for not not every possession, but for a big chunk of those minutes. I thought that was, I think that's pretty spot on there. Deferring to Clarkson is a factor that we haven't really talked about, but makes sense to me. Uh, yeah, I'd have to look at all those numbers to see what that uh, reality is. But, you know, I'm not going to go crazy here that uh, he was not as much as a factor against Clippers in that game on Friday versus what he had been earlier because you can't go crazy on one game. Never can. You know, unless it's the seventh game or something. Uh, but in a regular season game, you just can't go berserk and make these long-range ramifications. That's up to those guys to figure out how to get things done. I believe they can. And Joe's value goes beyond a box score. I think that's something that we've seen, too. And I think what was very interesting is what, what did Joe miss? Three or four games earlier in the season? Mm-hmm. And one of the quotes that I remember that Donovan said, man, I, don't real, I didn't realize all the stuff that he does until he wasn't there. Because I don't think, uh, and to that point, Donovan Mitchell had ever played an NBA game in which Joe Ingles had not appeared in. Right. It was literally the first one because he had that 384-game yeah. streak going on there. So, you know, he, he can contribute beyond the value. And I think he will. But they've got, he's too good of a player not to have an impact on the game. Okay, so the other listener with a take here is Jeff, who says, uh, and this is in reaction to the question about uh, the Clippers get their two-star players back, they beat the Jazz, who goes into the I told you so camp? And Jeff says, not me. 
Utah has nuked the 2020 scouting report on them, which was to drop the big for 48 minutes. Now teams are trying to figure out how to shut off the threes. There are adjustments that Utah can make to get more threes against pressure defenses. The Clips game will force Utah to change. I think this goes to the point that teams evolve over the course of an NBA season, and Jeff is right about teams evolving to defend the Jazz differently. And I thought as that game went along, I thought the Jazz got much better at getting good looks from the three-point line. Uh, early in the game, the Clippers really had him shut down. On the ESPN broadcast, Hubie was complimenting the Clippers, but also saying, uh, you know, basically saying this is great, but how long can they keep this up? And the fact is they couldn't keep it up. The energy it took to shut down the Jazz wasn't sustainable for 48 minutes. And the Jazz, although they did end up, uh, I think they are 12 of 34 from the three-point line. And so how are they going to create the 40 or 45 three-pointers a game that they need if they're going to make 18 to 20. You know, when they get to the 20 three-pointers made, they're usually good to go. And so Quinn's answer has basically been take more threes. You can't make more if you don't take more. Uh, The percentage was a little on the low side at 35, but it was way low early in the game. They were down around 30%. So they picked it up as the game went along percentage-wise. And this goes back to the point of, Hey, they're averaging 42 a game and you only got 35. They got to get more up. But I, I like Jeff's point about they're going to have to evolve over the course of the season because they fixed one way teams were playing them and they seem to have an answer for that. Now teams have come up with another thing. So they got to evolve and come up with something else to answer that. Hubie Brown, is that what you're talking about? You just uh-huh. said Hubie. 87 year old Hubie Brown. How about that? 87 years old. Hubie Brown. Grew up in Elizabeth, New Jersey. How about that? A Jersey guy. And you know who his college roommate was? Frank Layden. <laughs> they go way back. Yeah. They Literally. Co- combination, how they all got to the NBA, speaking of them all. Uh, Larry Costello was a player there at Niagara where they all went. And then he went to the NBA and became a coach, too. He hired Hubie, and Hubie hired Frank. And away they went, all out of Niagara. Hubie Brown, 87 years old, a member of St. Raphael's Parish in West Orange, New Jersey. Storange. Wait, is Storange East Orange or West Orange? It's West Orange. Well, West there's, Orange. An, there's, an, they're all, there's an East Orange, uh-huh. which where my father was born, West Orange, where my mother was born. There's an Orange, where I was born, in the same hospital as John Crotty, and... There's a South Orange, which is where Seton Hall is. So there's not a North Orange. How about that? I got you covered on the oranges. So when people say <laughs> Storange, I just remember we had the comedian. It's the oranges. They call it the oranges. Oh, okay. I had the comedian in the studio, and it cracked me up when he said, Oh, you're from Storange. That comedian? Well, uh, who was it? I forget his name. I can see him clear as day. <laughs> Who do you have in that, studio, Yak? He's going to taunt me here. He's not going to tell me. Who was, he wasn't here. That, that was back over at Yeah, it was uh, in the other building. Right, yeah. Yak didn't work over at the other building. I've only been with you guys in this building. Oh, really? Okay. It's, it's been a long run, but it's only been yeah, in this building. You're right. <laughs> who was that comedian? I can see The one him who farted and he thought it was funny? Yeah, I can see him clear as day and I can't think of his oh, name. Was that you? Are you going to tell me or not? You're driving me nuts. I can't remember it. Oh, you can't either? (laughs) I was stalling, hoping that you got it. (laughs) It'll come to me. Talk about something else. It'll come to me. 
<laughs> but he dropped Storage, and it was I can't remember if he's talking about East Orange or West Orange, but you guys had your Jersey moments. <laughs> but that's amazing. UB Brown's still doing his thing yeah. at 87 years of yeah. age. He was he was ref in the game. He was calling the game. <laughs> it's awesome. Still go that, that that is just he didn't like a bunch of calls in that game. When when you're thinking about it, at 87. 87 and still on top of his of game. Age. You know, he he just called, hey, this clipper defense is great. But you could hear it in his voice. I don't think they can keep defending like this. <laughs> it's just too much energy. Well, you know, and that's why I don't put a ton of stock into that ball game because of the fact that it was clear that the Clippers were jacked for the game. And why shouldn't it be? Yeah. Why shouldn't they be? They absolutely should have been. Because they had, and Steve Cleveland agreed with that, they had more to prove to, I guess, basketball, in a sense, than at the moment that the Jazz had to prove. Now, that doesn't mean the Jazz came out and didn't care about the game by any stretch. I don't think that that's the case. But I just feel like that was sort of the Clippers' game to win. You know, and and the Clippers are one and one in their last two. (laughs) So, you know, if they would have won that game, and turn around and or lost that game. Turn around, and won last night against Miami. They'd still be yeah. one and one. It was the wasn't it the Nets last night? What did I say? Miami. It was the Nets. The they, Nets, they, yeah. They the played Nets. Miami before they played the Jazz. Exactly. Yes, beat, beat Miami, lost to the Jazz. Beat the Jazz, lost to the Nets. Well, Miami beat the Lakers on uh-huh. Saturday, and that's what I was thinking of. I was thinking of because I watched. Uh, it's time of year where you're watching a ton of basketball. So I watched the Miami game against the Lakers on Saturday. Then I turned around and watched the Clipper game against the uh, Nets last night. Yeah. And it worked out for both. The Jazz, the teams that they wanted to win won, and the teams that they wanted to lose lost. So it was actually a productive weekend. They gained a half a game on the Lakers and the Jazz are the uh, Clippers, and they're right where they started on Friday, right? No, I guess the Clippers picked up a half game, but I get your point. Nobody made, well, then, but the nobody Clippers, made a big move. Yeah, They got the I mean, split but, with the Clippers down there. They got the tiebreaker with the Clippers now. If they do finish with the same record, the Jazz will have the better seed. Maybe that'll be the difference between one and two. Who knows? Who knows how it will play out? Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, who knows? But what you want now is to have uh, every advantage you can. I mean, yeah, they got them. They may not I, matter. I but. have to say, I was rooting for the opponents in the Lakers and Clippers games. Does it matter? Or does it mean anything? I'm not sure. But along the way, I was. I, that's what I was doing. So what can I tell you? That's what I felt. I think everybody. That's what we're doing, right or no? Yeah, I think so. Uh, those are the games that resonate with me. It's funny, the games in the middle of the league that used to matter so much just don't matter as much now. I find myself looking at the schedule like, when do the Lakers and Clippers play? What are they doing? And, and think- what, the, what the Suns and the Nuggets and the Mavericks and all that. You know, last year, you watched the top of the league because it's the top of the league, and then you watch all the teams around the Jazz. And so that meant, like, you know, there were seven games that mattered because the West was so bunched up. And now it seems like it's really the Jazz and Clipper games that they get my attention. I mean, if something else happens, when you have an end of the game like you had in Golden State on Saturday, that's going to get my attention. That, that's too entertaining not to. Do you think it got the attention of Jay Moore? Thank you! <laughs> Feel better now. Who, as you know, was Storage. born in Verona, 
New Jersey. Oh, yeah, yeah. You guys had your Jersey moments. <laughs> it's gotten to the point now with Jersey, and I've heard so much, that whenever I see someone who I think is tough guy, wannabe tough guy, borderline tough guy, I always look to see if he's from Jersey. All the time. Do it all the time. You mean like Joe Pesci? <laughs> no. Actually, I was talking about soccer, and I know that's going to uh, – you know, remember Kansas City? We hate them, and they hate us, and that just drove you nuts. And I, I still hate Sporting KC. <laughs> Their head coach, total tough guy, still works out. He's, you know, 50-whatever, looks like he's 30-whatever, and he's just he just wears out. You know, Dunny's done national games where he's been on the sideline, and he says it's just unbelievable. He is just yelling at the ref, yelling at his players, yelling at the linesman right in front of him. He's just living life is and you, all he's doing. And you click on it, it's like, he's a Jersey guy. Of course he is. <laughs> Why he's, wouldn't he be? He's just living life to the and fullest. And you would, you would love it. You would love to sit two rows behind Peter Vermees and just listen to him work, people. Like, yeah, go Jersey! <laughs> I only get half of what you're talking about, but I love all of it. <laughs> it's it's got to be something in the water. Something in the air. I don't know. It's something why Jersey people are in your face. (laughs) (laughs) Peter Vermees is totally in your face. He's so Jersey. All right, DJ and PK, we got to take a break. When we come back, everything you missed in this show, little NFL, little baseball, little golf, a lot of basketball, some jazz, some college. We'll get to it all next. Stay with us. Number one. The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotty and the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, the Zone continues to dominate the competition. Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Tony Finau, second playoff hole. And this to keep it going to a third. And this for a sand save par. Sends this on the way up to the cup. Has a chance to fall and will not. And Max Homa has won the 2021 Genesis Invitational. Homa missed a three-footer at 18. He would have won it all. Instead, the California kid beats Finau in the second playoff hole. Max Homa is now part of the championship culture of the city of L.A. Max Homa, second playoff hole. Dodgers, Lakers. And now an L.A. kid wins the, uh, well, it's not the L.A. Open anymore, but it might as well be. Tony Finau, the West High Panther, so close yet again, PK. Another top 10. This is even better than that. A final round 64. If there was ever a day you thought he's playing well, he's making putts, he's going to make the big shot to win the tournament, this would be the day. You got a 64 uh Man, you must be feeling awesome out there. You must feel like you can do anything. Just shoot 64 on a, on a Sunday on the PGA Tour. But he had a putt to win the tournament on the first extra hole, and he didn't get it to go. And so Homa gets away with a, uh, with a blunder, a bad putt there at 18, but he wins it on the second playoff hole. Yeah, that 64 is interesting because it was not a 64 while in the lead. It was a 64. 64 is a 64. You can't take that away from anybody. You play that and shoot that well. Obviously, you're awesome, and he is awesome. We all understand that. Uh, But it wasn't like he was holding off challengers. 
he sort of was in a horse racing deal, come along the outside. He wasn't on the rail. And with home, once Homa missed that putt, which I have to believe Tony and we all thought was going to go in, uh, then he found himself and you saw he, what he took off his mask or whatever it was and got ready to go play. And I was talking with somebody last night as far as that goes. You know, it, is it easier to shoot at 64 when you're sort of on the outside as opposed to being the one that everyone's chasing? But a 64 is still a 64, and you can't invalidate it under any stretch. But it was an interesting situation from where he was as opposed to waking up on Sunday and being in the lead. And then they had that playoff. He's going to have to sink a game-winning, not a game-winning, a round-winning, a tournament-winning, I guess you should say, a tournament-winning putt. And it will come. You can't be this good. And not have it come. And, but at the same time, winning, and I, I always call it the L.A. Open, too. Uh, I've been there many times over the years when I lived down there. Uh, is winning for him, you know, is winning the L.A. Open where it's at? Well, I think it's better than winning to Puerto Rico because L.A. usually has a good field and the list of well, sure. golfers who've winning won there. Winning is winning. Well, I think Bob Casper told us a long time ago there's, there's A, B, and C level tournaments. So if he wins a major, obviously that trumps everything else. Yeah. But I feel like the, at Riviera, you usually say, have a field that is an A event. I'd have to go back and look at Puerto Rico. I don't know if it's A. No, that Puerto Rico I, I, That was a B or C. I don't I know. I think there's only, a there's only four tournaments a year now that have an A event. Well, the four majors are above everything else, but yeah. the field you get in the major, you probably get on tour 10 to 12 times a year. And the thing about the Ooh, Puerto Rico about Open is that when he won it, it was the opposite event of a World Golf Championship right. event. Right. Yeah. So the World Golf yeah. Championship events usually have at least 25 of the top 30 golfers. Okay, but I'm, what I'm saying is if he wins the L.A. Open, it's not like he's arrived. He won the L.A. Open. Wow. No, it would be better than what he won in Puerto Rico, but it would clearly it, not be as good as winning a major. Or so even that's a where he's going to go. So we, yeah. we make a big deal. Oh, he's going to get one one of these times. Okay, fine. But you want but it to be he, a major. But right. does he need the L.A. Open? To get what he really wants. I don't think he does. That's the point I'm no, making. No, he probably doesn't. You're right. It would be better to have it than not. Of but, course. But if you told him right now you can win the LA Open and you can win the Masters, I mean, come on. <laughs> so what kind of a question is that? The thing about his 64 yesterday is if you shoot a 64 on the final round and you're coming up on the outside, but by the time he bogeys 15, he's right in the middle of it. There's You, you can see... He's got a chance to win this. And he bogeys at 15, and we all know he's got the history of coming up short and not winning tournaments. And so when he birdied 16 and 17, I thought that meant something. I thought it that did. mattered. You know, it it's like the pressure to, okay, you need a bogey to tie, or you need a birdie to tie for the lead, and you got it. You need a birdie to take the lead, and you got it. Now, yeah, okay. he could have birdied 18 to slam the door, he could have birdied the first playoff hole to win it. He could have birdied, or he could have parred. If he makes his par putt at the second playoff hole, he at least extends it, and who knows what happens on the next hole. You know, so there were other chances, but I thought he made the big putts along the way that you know, in the past he hasn't made. Now he needed to make one more, and he didn't make it, so that's still out there. Well, then it was big at the time, but there was bigger to come. Right. And it's the same thing with Homa. If Homa's in third place and he solidified third place, he makes that putt at 18. Come on. Of course he does. 
Don't I don't think anybody's doubting that. I wouldn't think so. But the putt at eighteen had all the pressure winning the tournament. It was funny. Who was the who was the analyst on that? Because they were saying whoever was the on the hole announcer was saying uh, something about right in the center of the cup, and then. <laughs> And then the announcer goes, oh, I'd go right side if it was me. And sure enough, it catches the left edge and spins out. Yeah. Easy, easier to say when you're, not, uh, when you're not the one standing over the putt, I suppose. Oh, yeah, my you know, gosh. I wouldn't have any idea what that right. would be like. We all can create that singular episode in our own minds if it's whatever our individual score is. So I guess we have a, a, a sliver of taste of that. But like yeah, Anton, Homa, he'll grow from it. I think Tony will keep growing, but I'm just saying that I just don't think that, oh, let's just celebrate wildly. He finally broke through. At his level, breaking through is one of the four biggies. It's like Kepka. Kepka hasn't won a whole lot on the tour, but he's winning the ones that matter the most, and that's where he's made his rep. Talked a little golf today. We talked a little uh, college basketball today, BYU. They needed to go dominate Loyola Marymount, and they went and dominated Loyola Marymount. Check that box and move on. 17-5 and five now. Did you take anything away from that other than, wow, they made that look easy? LMU, you know, I used to cover them when I was down in L.A. because that they were one of those schools where we sort of paid attention to them. So I covered some of that great Paul Westhead team. I was there. The morning of uh, Hank Gathers died on a Sunday uh, against, I think they were playing Portland, and right by that, when Hank actually collapsed, Eric Spolstra was on the floor, was right there uh, on a firsthand uh, eyewitness account. So anyway, the next morning I'm sitting there doing an agate shift, which is the scoreboard, and the editor says, I need you to hustle up to LMU right now. And I go into this uh, the auditorium up there to 10,000 crying people over the loss of Hank Gathers. But there's never really been a commitment to big-time basketball. And BYU, I think, has a commitment to big-time basketball. So they should work them. That's exactly what they should do. And they did do that. So doing something that you're supposed to do, I think there's credit. And there is accomplishment in doing that. They were on the road this week, and there have been good be what we thought teams that looked pretty good, but then they've gone on the road and lost in the West Coast Conference, and it sunk their NCAA hopes. But these guys went out and turned in strong performances, got their wins, and now they're 17-5 and and 8-3 and in league play, and they're coming home for two games to wrap up the regular season. Utah State lost twice at Boise State, both winnable games, both close late. Tie game with three points to go on Friday after being down one with five minutes to go on Wednesday. And the Broncos made the winning plays in those last couple of minutes. So Utah State now 14-7 overall, 11-4 in conference. Uh, at least two of those top four teams get in, but not all four. Two or three, don't you think? Somebody gets beat up and knocked out? I would out. think three at this point, but, uh, you know, I'm real interested to see what happens in Vegas. Hopefully everybody goes to Vegas in the conference tournament can be uh, happen, can be pulled off, because I think there's any one of five teams. I would throw Nevada in there as a, you know, a little bit of a long shot, but they could have an opportunity possibly to win that. So it's set up to be real competitive. I think right now I would still favor San Diego State. Aggies are going to play Nevada this week. Uh, they yeah. got them at home on Friday and Sunday. 
And the Utes, two late turnovers, and they lose to Oregon 67-64. That game was going back and forth right at the end of the game. It looked like the Utes had a chance, but the turnovers sink them, and they drop to 9-10 and on the year and 6-9 and in conference. And they play Oregon State tonight. It's kind of a weird deal, uh, but it's a, it's a weird year, and it's a makeup game from earlier this year at the Huntsman Center. They couldn't play the Oregon State-Utah game. So. Oh, yeah, everything is bizarre Wasn't that delayed here. again? They delayed it again? I believe so. It was moved to, I think, early March. I can't keep track, clearly. So what you're saying is it's Never not mind tonight. then. It is not tonight. I don't it think. is not. I didn't think it was, but you know that stuff more than I do. No, I'll go with Yak on this. Originally, it was a Thursday, Saturday, Monday. And they've moved it to the week of the Colorado date in early March. Okay. Never mind then. Early March would be next week. Okay. Today is Fair the 22nd. Point. Yes. <laughs> They got USC and UCLA this week and then Colorado next week, and so they plugged it in there. Oregon State's in that week there, yeah. Reset. UCLA on uh, Thursday and USC on Saturday at home for the Utes. All right, and then we talked some, uh, some NBA basketball, the Jazz and the Clippers, the Clippers and the Nets. The Nets beat the Clippers on Sunday after the Clippers beat the Jazz on Friday, and the Nets... They sweep their Western road trip. They beat the Lakers, the Clippers, the Suns, the Warriors, and the Kings. And they had not won four straight road games since 2008. I find that to be unbelievable. <laughs> 13 years? But they've got uh, five in a row. They've beaten eight Western teams in a row. So as much as we want to dismiss them against the West, PK. Who's dismissing them? Eight. Oh, the East gets dismissed against the West all the time. But the not, Nets have to be set it's aside. Not the, East are not, the, the Nets are not the East. The right, Nets the, are Nets the Nets are the Nets. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they do not I, need I, to be lumped in with the others. I believe in what Cleve, Steve Cleveland was saying as far as James Harden playing his best ball ever. Yes. Well, because, he kind of put himself on notice demanding his way out, right? Well, yeah, and you just can't come in there and just start jacking it up and doing maybe what you did when you had just total control of the offense with Houston for all that time. And I didn't see him do that. It's really going to be intriguing to me what happens when Durant comes back because uh, I think there's more top-level star talent with this team than Durant had with the Warriors. Doesn't mean they're the better team than the Warriors. I'm not saying that. But there's guys who have had the ball and have had success with the ball and to where you think they, uh, I, I'm taking that shot. And how's it going to be? It's going to be a fascinating thing to develop. And if they get that, get that thing squared away, which I believe they can, they are legitimate as far as winning it all. Absolutely. Nets win again. They beat the Clippers 112-108, although there's a controversial play at the end of the game. Kawhi Leonard driving to the hoop, called for an offensive foul on Harden, uh, wiping him away with his left arm, and Harden sold it. And The whistle yeah. did not get swallowed with eight seconds I, to go. I didn't think it was that controversial. I mean, the Nets really didn't even really talk about it that I saw. You mean the Clippers? And the Nets aren't going to talk about it. They got the call. The Clippers would be the ones complaining about it. I did mean the Clippers, yes. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't really listen to them complain about it that much. Maybe I missed it. But I watched the post game, and because they interviewed Lou, and that the real freaky thing about Paul George and the minutes—you know—they pulled him out with 33, 
And Legler was saying, well, what's he can't play 35? And if that's the case, you have the minutes restriction, as Steve Cleveland brought it up too as a coach. Why wouldn't you orchestrate the minutes so he would be in there at the end of the game instead of standing over there uh, watching? It was sort of bizarre. He said after the uh, Jazz Clippers game that he was feeling it and he thought if he'd had to go any more against the Jazz that uh, he just wouldn't really have been able to uh, contribute the way he should have if he was being totally honest. He played 27 minutes against the Jazz, so I don't think he'll be on that minutes restriction long, but that is odd that he'd be out at the end of the game because usually the star players who get paid the most are going to be in there at the end of the game. Yeah, and why didn't you manipulate the minutes so yeah, he was available earlier, at the right? end? I didn't, I didn't really understand what was going on there. But and the Clippers lost the game, and good for the Nets. They won the game. But the, the Clippers are still going to be in the mix. They're going to have the opportunity to do what they would want to do. Whether they can do it or not, I don't know. But they have that opportunity. They're, they're, they're a good team also, no question about it. You would think that you could go to the 6th or 8th or 10th assistant coach and have them track the minutes and, hey, Remind me when he's got to come in and out, will you? Yeah, you know, and that's the funny thing now, that there's no crowd on the court level. You can really see how many assistants or strategists or analysts or whatever they are, auxiliary yeah. guys, that these teams have. Before, when they sat in the second and third row, they kind of blended in with the crowd. Well, now they're all wearing some type of team uh pullover basically because they're not wearing suits and you can really get to see these guys do they they do they got like 10 guys on their staff this is crazy yep and you think one of them could track the minutes somebody i mean basically every player has an assistant coach now to work on his game and you know development and all that so you think if nothing else that coach would be tracking that guy he works with I was thinking, you know, we're so darn important in our jobs. We need personal assistance. Uh, that'll never happen. <laughs> <laughs> so Isn't you, that kind each, of my job? Each one of us can say, well, my staff. Yuck, at, the t- <laughs> at any time that you have to do something that blends into being personal assistant for us, that's your least favorite part of the job. And, hey. You may or may not do it, depending on the day and what it is and how things are going. But there's always a little eye roll like, I'm the producer. I'm I'm not exactly your personal assistant here. Can you schedule that for me? (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. (laughs) All right. And then the Jazz. Big picture takes on the Jazz. Get people up to speed. They weren't going to sweep the Clippers. That would be unusual. If they did sweep the Clippers, wouldn't it be dismissed as, well, that's unusual. It's a regular season because they wouldn't really sweep the Clippers. It's one of those deals where even if you did sweep them, people would discount it. Oh, sure, but I still think we're looking for short-term satisfaction. Yeah. And it would have been fun because there's been a lot of yeah buts relative to the Jazz. So why not answer it? In my mind, they did answer it to an extent. Like, I like the fact – I don't like the fact that they got down by 15, but I like the fact that they fought back. Real quickly. Didn't wait till the bitter end. Took the lead in the third quarter. Right. That was impressive because it looked like it might get away from them. And we know they did get blown out, although it's been a while since they've been blown out, right? It's been well over, what, whenever those New York games were. Or the Denver game, I guess they got blown out, and that was a couple weeks back. So there is that. But I like the fact that at least it wasn't a blowout and there was some fight. And Mitchell continues to impress. Guy's amazing. 
He's an amazing ball player. To your point about the Clippers and their intensity on the ESPN broadcast, they had Lou Williams mic'd up, and they got him in the huddle telling his yeah, teammates, yeah, 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 keep, yeah. It, keep it going. Nobody beats us uh, back-to-back. Nobody beats us twice in three days. Nobody comes in here and does that to us. So not in our house. Is that Miami Hurricanes <laughs> he, announcer? He did not drop that. <laughs> but it was. You don't come into the SC Staples Center. <laughs> you don't come in. <laughs> you don't come into the Lakers' house and beat us twice. Well, that like he was in the OB, that guy. Yeah, I know. We're all going on. Yeah. <laughs> I think he got fired too after that. <laughs> brawl on the field and he's cheering on the guys instead of saying no you shouldn't be doing this <laughs> dj and pk there we go that's what we've been talking about in this show and when we come back your feedback coming up next So nice to beat the Clippers with everybody focused on the Jazz. Would have been so nice if Donovan Mitchell decided to show up for both the Jazz. Would have been so nice. And the thing about it here is he's going to take way more than John ever took. Yes. <laughs> Monday morning, Monday morning. You want me to cut it? There it is. That was so an emphatic. Yes. 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 Marv Albert. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but it was it was more of a like almost like it was a sexy yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> sexy yes. Let's hear it again. Yes. <laughs> it's like when Honey said to DJ, "Do you want me?" He yes. said. <laughs> Do I look beautiful in this dress? Yes. <laughs> Am I your eternal companion? Yes. <laughs> Tell Scotty and Ann's I'm going to need a half hour. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Is DJ pouting now? Yes. <laughs> In fact, he's kind of willed his way away from the mic and just sitting there. I can reach it. I'm here. No, I just, I could see what was going on. I looked at Yach and I just nodded at him. And then I leaned back and put my feet up on the desk, put my hands on my man, just stretched out and relaxed. Like, PK's got Will this, DJ win another this award this week? Yes. <laughs> I hope so. The award-winning weeks are better than the other weeks. <laughs> and good job by Kay. I like that tune. And they can really harmonize. In fact, I thought it was the Beach Boys. I didn't realize it was Kay and his wife or whoever the lady is. <laughs> it's his wife who does the harmonizing with them. They're very good. They got it down. They got it down. You think they're in the ward choir? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Say yes like that. No idea. <laughs> Inspired. Yes. Uh, is it fun to make fun of DJ? Yes. <laughs> Should we keep doing it? Yes. 
just having a conversation with the drop. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> well, I believe really I got paid for this. That, right? <laughs> <laughs> I just want to be clear. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> Lovable, but definitely a pain. <laughs> yes. Oh, Does that actually sound that much like me? Yes. No, not really, no. no. That's why I thought it was unusual. I think, I think if you play that, if you don't tell, now, of course, you know, they're probably here in the show, but if you didn't tell another host in the station, who is this, I wonder if they would get it. Yes. <laughs> That's why I wanted it cut up, because I thought it sounded so much different yeah. than what you normally sound like. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's time for the feedback today's show. And Greg says, I don't know about you needing a personal assistant, PK, but I would be in favor of limited minutes the week of the ASU Utah football game. <laughs> what does that mean? Uh, I think he doesn't want, doesn't want to hear you talk about the Sun Devils when they're playing the youths. See, it's a Paul George takeoff. Personal assistant, limited minutes. I He's been listening to today's show. Way to go, Greg. Yeah, I understand. I appreciate his listenership. I don't think I go overboard on that. Damon says, we beat the Clippers at full strength earlier, so it's 1-1 split. Fine. The playoffs is when it'll matter anyway. Oh, no doubt. The playoffs are always when it matters, sure. But we're just trying to have fun in the interim. We're not at the playoffs. we still got half a season to go. And, and it, it, this, this loss did nothing to curtail my enthusiasm and excitement for the Jazz. In fact, I can argue that it actually increased. So you think uh, mentally it gets them refocused, that it was getting pretty easy, and if they'd taken the Clippers twice, that could have been dangerous and slippery slope? And now when Quinn says we got to fix A, B, and C, whatever that is, uh, you know, we need more threes, or here's what we're going to tweak to get shots, when they're hugging, the, you know, hugging every three-point shooter on the three-point line, the guys would just – automatically be more focused because they got a, they've got one loss in the last 10 and they know it matters. Well, if you're asking me that question, Yach, give him my answer. Yes. <laughs> that was my stun double. That's why it doesn't sound like me. For the truly dangerous radio segments. I'm a stun you double. have an assistant. That was you. <laughs> <laughs> now back to me. Well, that, to answer that question, uh, that's to be determined. I see no reason why there isn't a hyphen focus because I think with this group, this is a mature group. It's a veteran group. They all realize the task at hand. You got, a, what, a 33, two 33-year-olds and a 31-year-old. Now, they still have time to play ball. But you never know with contract situations and what's going to be available. Who's to say Mike Conley's going to be on the team next year? I don't know if he is. He's not under contract, right? Doesn't he become a free right. agent yep. this summer? He's up. So I, who knows? What's going to happen? So take advantage of it. These guys have been around. Every one of them, even the youngster in Mitchell, has been around enough to know that there's no guarantees and you don't know what's ahead. So you have an opportunity right now and you have to seize it. And so that's why I don't think that there's going to be any situation where even if they would have won, they would have thought, oh, wow, this is coming so easy. We could take our foot off the gas. Blah, blah. Especially now when you know you got a week coming up that you'll be off. So you got a little light at the end of the tunnel here. What's it through next week? And then they take some time off. 
So just look at these next set of games. You don't want to look past Charlotte, but you can look at this next week plus and think, hey, let's just let's let's if how many games they have left, whatever. They got five games left before the break. And so you win uh, yeah, 24 out of 26 or whatever it was. Yeah. I mean, that would be absolutely awesome. Charlotte tonight. Are we out of time, DJ? Yes. <laughs> Should we make way for Scotty and Hands? Yes. Commercial break first. Yes. See you tomorrow from 6 to 10 on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone.